Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. team's not playing well i'm not sure you know what buck can do to change some of and i agree completely with what gary said the the malaise that overtakes a team that makes it look like they're not focused when i think it's really more the opposite that's you know in play with everybody trying to do a little bit too much need to settle down a little bit and i'm not suggesting that the cardinals of all teams are going to be the panacea but they've been struggling so badly, too. Maybe the timing is right for the Mets to, to start to get healthy this weekend. That audio courtesy of SNY up in New York alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex out today. He might be joining us at some point in the 12 o'clock hour. But Alex T-Bone, excuse me, knew that was going to happen at some point. Can't believe it happened this early. T-Bone, Howie Rose there basically gave the same response that we would give here in St. Louis to that question being asked to us. He was asked, hey, is this the weekend when the Mets are going to be able to get things back on track? They're going up against a struggling opponent. The Cardinals at this point, 15 games under 500. The Mets are four games under 500. However, the Cardinals are first are closer to first in their division than the Mets are in the NL East. The Mets are 10 and a half games back right now of the Atlanta Braves. The Cardinals are just eight games back of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so you go into this weekend and it's like, man, Both of these teams are going to go into it feeling the exact same thing. This is the weekend when we get our season back on track. The Cardinals are going to believe that because they have to. The Mets are going to believe that because they also have no other options. And so you go into this thing and man, this is a zero sum game where one of those two teams is going to be wrong. Somebody's going to come out of this thing losing more games than they win. And they are going to feel devastated. Because if you miss out on this opportunity against another struggling opponent, there may not be a better one coming up on your schedule. For the Mets, their schedule is a gauntlet coming up. They play against St. Louis in New York for three, and then they travel. Three games in Houston, three games in Philadelphia, then you got four games at home against Milwaukee, three at home against San Francisco, three on the road against Arizona, and then three on the road against the San Diego team that's starting to get hot again. That's a brutal stretch prior to the All-Star break. Cardinals is a little bit more forgiving. They've got three games against Washington and then against the Cubs, but then they've also got a difficult stretch to finish out the first half of the season. Houston, New York with the Yankees, and then against Miami, a team that does not give up a whole lot of runs, and that's down in Miami for a four-game set against Skip Schumacher. T-Bone, is this the series that the Cardinals will get right in your mind? better be other otherwise i i don't know if you can look at them and say that they're actually going to ever turn it around and look i'm skeptical of that either way 
but this is the get right series for both of these teams because to your point somebody's going to lose two of three at the at, at minimum and I whoever ends up winning this series is going to say hey you know what this is where we kind of turn the tide and, and I think the Cardinals could look at it that way and if they do it's probably because the offense shows up for this series I mean Things could line up better for St. Louis in terms of the pitchers you're going to see this weekend. Now, saying a very good, you're going to see him on Saturday, but you got McGill today and Carrasco on Sunday. Those aren't guys that put fear into a lineup, and this lineup should be better than it has been. So this definitely feels like and needs to be the kind of series that you should look at and go, okay, they won two of three. Maybe this is where the St. Louis Cardinals turn it around because, as you said, the schedule pretty forgiving at least in the next set. After this, Washington, you should go to Washington, take two of three at minimum. So you could be looking at a four and two five and one type of road trip and if you do that i'm not saying i'm gonna buy back in but i could see where the cardinals could look at themselves in the mirror and go okay now we turn this around and it started in new york where it has to where you're facing the mets with a team that's underperforming they don't have their best bat in their lineup in pete alonzo who's on the aisle with a i believe wrist injury if i'm not mistaken so yes this needs to be the series that is circled and i'm not gonna say it's the most important series of the year but i am going to say this is the series that is circled and says this should be the get right series for somebody, and the hope would be the St. Louis Cardinals are that team. The thing is, these teams are just they're mirror images of one another. Both of them had extremely high expectations going into the season. I think the Mets had even higher expectations than the Cardinals did. Like I know a lot of people nationally and locally are saying the Cardinals are the biggest disappointment in Major League Baseball this year. I understand. I'm not going to push back on that. They are they are deserving of that label. So are the New York Mets, man. The Mets were supposed to be contending for 100 wins this year. They were supposed to have the best rotation in all of Major League Baseball. This lineup has been constructed in a way where they were going all in this year. They just gave our guy Brandon Nimmo like $100 million to be one of the best bats in Major League Baseball and to play a great center field. Man, he hasn't even been great defensively this year. He's been making some mistakes out there. And then you look at their offense They have actually been worse in the month of June than the St. Louis Cardinals have been. They are batting, and this is not a misprint, 215 as a team in the month of June. It's brutal right now in New York. Now, some are putting pressure on Buck Showalter. The difference between the situation for Buck Showalter and Ollie Marmel is very simple. It's what they've done in their history. It's past performance. People have a long history of what Buck Showalter is as a manager, even prior to him getting to New York with the Mets. So they look at him and say, did he just like forget how to manage overnight? The answer is probably no to that question. So they're putting most of the blame on the players. Meanwhile, here in St. Louis, we have a one year history of what Ollie Marmel as a manager. So we look at it and say, well, then it must be the manager. He must be the problem. And last year it must have been a shadow manager with Skip Schumacher actually calling the shots. And now he's down in Miami and we're seeing what that looks like with him looking like one of the best managers in all of Major League Baseball. So that's the difference in why one is getting more criticism than the other. Dan Plesak, though, was on MLB Network the other day. And he was talking about the situation that the Cardinals reside in right now and what that means for their manager. Something has to change because this current, the way they're going right now, they're going to New York Friday, three games against the Mets Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They've got to do something because what's what's going on right now? We're almost seven. We're, we're like past the quarter pole and they're not showing any signs of getting any better. Something has to happen. But I think that's something at this point we can just say is they have to get better. They have to play better. They have to get the per- players that are on the field to perform at a higher level. T-Bone, we were wondering, is it going to happen? Is today the day where they decide to move on from Ollie Marmel? The answer is a clear and resounding no. 
Earlier today, the Cardinals, the way that they do this to take uh, fans behind the scenes, uh, they send out texts to the media on what the schedule is for that day, right? So today, the Cardinals clubhouse is going to be open from about 4 to 5 o'clock Eastern. The game time is at 6.10 Central, 7.10 Eastern time. That's what they sent out this morning. When they send these things out, are there sometimes stuff that gets added to the schedule for the day? Yeah, there is. As of right now, there does not appear to be anything else that is added to that schedule for the media today. If they were going to make a move, it is now 12 o'clock on the East Coast. I think we would have already seen something that would have been sent out to the media as some kind of an advisory like, hey, make sure that you are at the ballpark early. We have an announcement to make that has not happened. I do not expect it to happen. The Cardinals made it clear over the last 24 to 48 hours with their actions, even more so than with their words. They are not moving on from Ollie Marmel. They believe he to be part of the solution, not part of the problem right now. Yeah, it's obvious they're not moving on from Ollie, and there's not going to be a surprise when media walks into the manager's office and goes, oh, hey, that's not Ollie Marmel. Who is this? So, I and look, I, I tend to agree with the Cardinals' decision here of this is not all on Ollie Marmel. Is he part of the problem? Maybe, but not a massive chunk to where if you fire him, things change. And it, to me, it's too late to make that change and provide a spark by firing a manager. When you're 15 games below 500. It's too late for that kind of move. If you're in the Mets situation, four games below 500 makes more sense to me. But I think it's clear. The Cardinals are saying we're sticking by Ali Marmol. John Mozalock is saying we're sticking by Ali Marmol because I think Ali Marmol is kind of attached to John Mozalock <laughs> yeah. since it's his, what, third manager in the last handful of years. Uh, so I, I, I think they've made their intentions clear. I think the next kind of if you want to have a deadline for when the Cardinals would fire Ali Marmol, and we said this yesterday, it would be the All-Star break. But even then, like, that, that doesn't seem reasonable to me. I, I think Ollie Marmol is the guy for the 2023 season. And look, if things don't turn around, I'm not going to tell you he's safe for 2024. But he's definitely the guy that's going to be leading this team through the 2023 season. Yeah, somebody on the text line asked it. By the way, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys would like to get involved in the show. Are they just waiting until either before or after the London series to make this kind of an announcement? No, I don't think so. If ever there was a time to do it, it's right now. Because you did have the off day yesterday. You're going on a road trip now up to New York and you want to salvage this season. And while it does feel completely and I'm in agreement with everybody as if this team is out of it, they are still just, quote unquote, eight games back in the division because of how bad the rest of the division has performed so far this year. So if you thought that firing the manager was going to provide the spark that is necessary for this team, now is the time when you should and could do it. So I don't think that's going to be the case. As T-Bone said, if there's going to be one other opportunity this year to do it, it would be because they struggle the rest of the first half of the season and then at the All-Star break, the same way that they did it with Mike Matheny back in 2018, that would be the next deadline, so to speak, a soft deadline when they could make this move. If they don't make it then, I don't think they're making it this year. And if I just had to project based on the fact that they didn't make it here, I don't think they're firing Ollie Marmel. And you can agree or disagree with that. And there's cases to be made on both sides. But I think the Cardinals have told you today where they stand. And I would also add this, T-Bone. We're not up there in New York, obviously. We're doing the show today. John Mosellock should address the media today. Agreed. He should. John Mosellock should sit in the dugout and take any questions that are necessary. And he should say, I'm going to be here as long as you need me. Whatever questions you have, uh, politicians do this all the time where they say hey, i'm gonna i'm gonna bleed you out what questions do you guys have anything that you have i'll go ahead and answer it. i'll be here for the next three hours if that's what you want me to do because i'm happy to answer any questions that need to be addressed mo should do that today 
Yeah. Because there are a lot of questions that deserve to be asked of what his offseason plan was, what's gone wrong for this team in season, what can or should be done to address it. And some of these questions, honestly, he's not going to have an answer for. And that's okay. But the biggest one is, why are you sticking with Ollie Marmel? Why do you believe that he is the man to lead you through this? And was there consideration to moving on from Ollie over the course of the last week or so? If he answers it, asked and answered, and we can all move on. But I think that John Mosaylock, given the fact that he is the figurehead of this organization, he needs to be the one standing in front of cameras today answering those questions for fans. They deserve to have those questions answered. Yeah, do what Doug Armstrong did it early on with Craig Berube. And I think he did it twice for Craig Berube, where he came and spoke to the media and said Berube was not going to address it. So I totally agree. I think that is something Mo has to do today in New York. And I'll also say this. You, you, yes, I agree. Yesterday was the deadline probably to move on from Ollie. I when the players come out the day prior and say this isn't an Ali Marmol thing, this is on us, and it came from your core guys, it didn't come from your like bench utility players, like it didn't come from Mer- Mercado. No offense to him, huh. but it came from Goldie and Arenado. You don't you don't make that move because that shows that they've got the support behind those guys, and, and that's why to me it makes a ton of sense not to make the move that they decided to do. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Grant Francis, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the first thing that this team needs to do. We'll tell you what that is to get back on track next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's just been maddeningly frustrating, the wild inconsistency of performance. But I think you have to settle on one thing first. They're trying to fix the defense. They've got Tommy Evan playing the outfield. They've got Walker in left. Uh, they're going to get Newfar back at some point, I think, on this road trip. That will help solidify things defensively. I'm sure you've read all the articles about how the Cardinals on the, the defensive front have not played well, and they haven't. Uh, you got to fix that first. If you catch the ball, it's going to make your pitching better. Uh, If you pitch and you catch the ball, that means you're not giving up extra runs. And that means your offense only has to score two or three or four to win. I think one thing leads to another, but you've got to fix one thing first. And I think defense is is where they got to start. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Chip Carey on the morning show earlier today. He makes a totally fair point about the Cardinals defense so far this year. Now, everybody has their own opinion on uh, defensive stats, but I do think when you look big picture, they can tell a story. Right now, the Cardinals are tied for the third worst defensive run saved on the season. When you watch the games, I think that matches the eye test, personally. They're a bad defensive team so far this year, and there's a million different reasons as to why. A big part of that is what's happened in the outfield. If Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar, and Dylan Carlson are all healthy all season, I think we are looking at this very differently. Now, that could result in the offense having even more issues than what we have seen. But defensively, I'm pretty confident those guys would do a better job than the players that we've seen out there. Brendan Donovan has not done as good of a job at second base this season. And one of the biggest issues that they're falling into right now is that Nolan Arenado has not been a plus defender at third base. In fact, he's been a slightly below average defender, not just relative to his own standards, relative to Major League Baseball average as a defender at third base so far this year. T-Bone, if there's one thing that we have seen in the past that has helped turn things around, whether it's for the Cardinals or elsewhere, it's defense. It's a simple thing to say, but it's true. This pitching staff, maybe more than any other in Major League Baseball, 
needs the defense to be a plus. And so far this year, they have been not only a negative, but a massive liability for the team. So for them to get back on track, just like it was after they fired Mike Matheny in 2018, just as it was from basically 2019, 21, and then 22, those three seasons for the Cardinals, a big reason why they were so successful under both Schiltz and Marmol is because their defense propped their pitching up. It needs to happen again this year. I don't think that can happen until Lars Newbar returns. I think that's going to be a big piece to this where you put Tommy Edmond back at shortstop. You're able to focus things out defensively in the infield. And then that also helps settle things down in the outfield. Walker's going to be a liability. There's no way you can fix that. But right now, as bad is so good that you don't change anything out there. The defense has to be the first thing that calms down for this team to get itself back on track. Yeah, I, I totally agree because when you look at them defensively, I mean, you look at that 21-22 team that you mentioned. I mean, they they were so good defensively is what led to the Stephen Matt signing was they said, hey, we could put any pitcher kind of in here with our with our defense and it'll make them better. Same with the trades for John Lester and Jay Happ. It wasn't, they didn't bring those guys in because they had swing and miss stuff. They said, we need guys that throw strikes and we'll play to our defense. So when the defense is bad, it's hard for the pitchers to play to it. And as we've seen, the trickle-down effect, too, it, it ends up being just this disaster to where they are giving up more runs and defensive efficiencies not there. And I, I also agree, I think when Newpark comes back, it is going to be a big kind of settling down of things because I think you're right. I, I think what they will do is they will bench Paul DeYoung because his offensive struggles recently where he's hit below 200 over the last month. You put Edmund back at short, and you got Newton Carlson in the outfield. And where I think they have to be willing to admit, and I, I think they've done this a little bit, um, is they haven't been winning a lot, so we haven't really been able to see it, is they've got to be willing to defensive substitute out Jordan Walker because yeah. you're right. He, defensively, he is such a liability. It's hard to keep him out there for nine innings in a game in which you are winning not by a a big difference, not by a big sum. If it's like a two, three-run game, I think what ends up happening is at some point in that game, probably seventh, eighth inning, Paul DeYoung comes back into the game at shortstop. Edmund moves back out to the outfield. Might honestly move back out to center field. And then you shift Flars Newbar back into left field in the corner. And then you've really got the best defense possible for you. And you were able to put out the best offensive lineup for six, seven innings to where you can hopefully get a lead and then end up shutting it down defensively with your bullpen as well. So here's a question for you. Would you consider Jordan Walker at DH? Again, this is a Monday question, probably more than it is a this weekend question, because this is all dependent upon Lars Newtbar's return. But when Lars is back, one thing you could do, you put Lars Newtbar in center, Dylan Carlson in right, Brendan Donovan in left. That becomes your outfield configuration. Your infield defense is one of these two following options. Either you have Nolan Gorman at second base with Tommy Edmond at short, or you just say, you know what, against especially against left-handed pitching, we're going to go with Tommy Edmond at second and Paul DeYoung at shortstop. And those are going to be days, especially with how he's been playing lately, where we're not going to have a guy like Nolan Gorman in the lineup. Do you consider that, T-Bone? I would consider it. Will the Cardinals do it? I, I don't think so, because I, they do seem to really believe there is something to making sure the guy is in the field playing that, and then that can also translate to being an offense. They want, don't want him just focusing on offense. And as you were bringing that up, I was curious because I remember last year they had Gorman at DH for a handful of games. It wasn't a ton. They did it 18 games last year, and I'm, I looked at his numbers. 177 batting average and a 648 OPS when he was in the field at second base. 241 batting average and a 746 OPS. So maybe there's something to it. Maybe that just happened to be when Gorman was hot, he was playing at second base and not at DH. But I, I, I would consider it. Because I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for him to – I know how this can sound. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for him not to be focusing on his defense here at the major league level 
right now. I, Especially I think, while he's hitting, because right yeah. now he's hot at the plate. And so you're catching all of the good feelings without tamping it down with what's happening to him in the outfield defensively right now. And, and I think work, the outfield defense is something he'll really work on in the offseason. I think that's where you really get the marginal improvement. I Will it help him getting reps right now? Sure. But I, I'm not sure it's going to be necessarily like a massive increase in terms of by you know August, we're looking at go. Wow, Walker's gotten really good defensively. So I, I I would consider it, but I could understand where the Cardinals come from and could look at it and say, hey, we really don't want him just focusing on offense because DH is tough. I mean, we heard a veteran last year tell us on our show and Corey Dickerson, hey, it's a tough mindset to be a DH, and he was a veteran player saying it. So what's that like for a 21 year old rookie? So I can understand if they decide not to, but I, I would personally consider it. So 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Somebody says on the uh, from the 314, guys, what are Gorman's defensive metrics? He's got to be at least league average, right? Wouldn't that be a significant boost from what you're getting right now in left field from Jordan Walker? He's right around league average, depending on what you're looking at. He's like a plus or a minus one. He, he's right around there. So you would be taking off one of the worst defensive players so far this year in all of Major League Baseball and Jordan Walker in favor of a guy that is basically league average defensively is is what you'd be doing there. Because then you're pushing Brendan Donovan, who's been pretty average as well, to the outfield. Uh, it, it does make you significantly better defensively. So it helps in that regard. I think the place where you really consider this is against left-handed pitching. Because then you just you sit Gorman on those days and you've got him coming off of the bench as a late game pinch hitter. This is not to suggest that Gorman can never hit left handers, but he's gone a little bit cold. And therefore, I would like to see him them go back to the let's get him in spots where it's advantageous for him platoon wise. And in those spots, maybe you do end up going with DeYoung at short Edmund at second because you're not giving up a ton offensively in those specific situations and putting a guy like Brendan Donovan in left field those days with Jordan Walker at DH. Because your option, if you don't go with Walker as a DH those days, are probably going with like a Luke and Baker. Yeah. And if you're telling me, hey, my options are Luke and Baker versus Paul DeYoung, I think they're one in the same, honestly. I know that sounds bad for Baker, but it's just true. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it is kind of one of the same. And, and at least DeYoung can provide you a defensive spot there at shortstop if you're playing him there. So Baker, I mean... I, have, if we've barely seen him in the field, he can only play first base. So I, I agree. I think against left-handed pitching, you could definitely see it. I, I will be fascinated to know what the Cardinals think because they were hesitant on Nolan Gorman, and Gorman was a, a highly touted prospect. Jordan Walker's even more high. I mean, he's the top prospect in all of baseball. So my gut tells me they're not going to do it. I'm more willing to, but I again, I can totally understand where they come from and say, you know what, we want him working on it. But if you're going to go with that mindset of he's got to be in the field, you also got to be willing to defensive replace him. And, and that's the thing that I'm going to be interested to see is, will they be willing to do it? I think they and will you can be. do that starting this weekend. Yeah, agreed. And, and I think they will be willing They will be willing to do that because their backs are against the wall. Where this is, to your point, this weekend, we just talked about it. This is the get right series for somebody. And if that means you've got to pull Jordan Walker in the seventh inning, potentially losing that bat of his later on, but you're up by one and you really need someone out there defensively, like Mercado, for example, probably the guy that goes out there. Or Donovan. Or or Donovan. I, whoever you want to go with. I would go Donovan just because I don't trust Mercado. Whoa, that's fair. Um, but I, I think they got to be willing to start doing that this weekend. And then if when Newpar is back, you still have to consider doing it because he is such a liability defensively. And again, I'm not saying he's going to be a terrible defender. I think Walker will end up being a pretty good left fielder or right fielder, wherever they decide to put him. It's just not going to be this year. So all of that focus was on the defense. All of it should be on the defense because that is the number one thing that has to get fixed because your floor, there's a host up in Chicago. I like listening to 670 The Score occasionally. Um, Their afternoon host talked about the Cubs coming into the year, and he said their floor as a team is 80 wins. 
So the reason why is just because they're defensively going to be so good that it's going to help their pitching and that helps their team overall. He's like the the ceiling for the team is probably 85. They're, they're not a very well constructed roster. They're just not all that talented. But defensively, I mean, we saw it earlier this year when the Cardinals played against them. They make every routine play. Yeah. And when you play that way, it just boosts the floor up so much. And that's one of the issues with the Cardinals is that their floor completely bottomed out with this defense. Get back to the fundamentals. Get back to doing things the right way on the defensive side of the ball. And that's going to help you alleviate some of these concerns uh, moving forward. The other thing that this team needs to do, though, is get the bats going. That's how they're going to raise the ceiling. The floor is the defense. The ceiling is the offense. And that's why we talked about it all offseason. And it starts tonight against Tyler McGill. McGill in his last four starts is 0-4. He's gone less than 17 innings, and he has an ERA approaching 9. He has been awful for the New York Mets. Now, Kodai Senga is tonight. He's been great for them. But on Sunday, you get Carlos Carrasco, who has been the definition of a number five starter so far this year. He goes about five innings, gives up two to four earned runs every single time. He's basically their version of Adam Wainwright. Has a 5-7 ERA with a fielding independent that's even higher than that. The Cardinals bats should get going in this series. This is a pitching staff that you can take advantage of. You're not seeing the two best starters in Scherzer and Verlander. Go take advantage of the opportunities that you've got this weekend because they're going to be a plenty and you got to get to these starters because they're bullpen solid. They've had their struggles this year, but they're solid. They've got good stuff. And we've seen the Cardinals have struggles with those lately. Get to the starters early, make them work and then win these games with your offense. And then late in the game, you're going to be able to do what T-Bone just suggested, which is get your defensive replacements out there, hold the leads and come away from this weekend winning at least two out of three. That's what this team has to do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. They're, that's what they're going to have to do. They they Five runs is probably what you need to win, probably the, two of the three in this series. Look, if they struggle against Sangup, look, a lot of people have done that. you got to be able to beat Miguel and Carrasco. And to your point, that's how this team really takes off as the offense starts hitting again. And these are the kind of starters that they would beat up on last year. That's what they're going to have to do here, and then you get to those defensive replacements late. Coming up next, what does a dark horse offseason look like for the St. Louis Blues? We've talked a lot about how maybe you get a Ross Colton, maybe you go buy low on somebody else. What if they really went for it and they got bold the way that we saw Vegas get bold, the way that we saw Florida get bold, the way that we honestly saw Ottawa last season go bold with Alex DeBrinkett? It didn't work out for them the way that it did for others, but hey, sometimes when you go bold, it doesn't work for you. What would that look like for the St. Louis Blues? We'll talk about that next year on 101. ESPN. We're right back to the. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
it better be bold. A lot of teams, I hear so often how hard it is to win and the cap and all oh, the constraints. Never once did I hear that from the Vegas Gold Knights. Not once. They just said, here's what we're going to do. B-O-L-D with a cap letter. Are you, either you're interested in winning or you're just happy being part of the schedule that the NHL puts out every year. Oh, that's our friend Craig Button yesterday on with us. If you missed any of our conversation with him, go ahead and check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. We've got to ask us anything coming up in about 15 minutes. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Go ahead and get those questions, and now we'll answer them coming up in a little less than 15 minutes. But T-Bone, I did want to discuss that a little bit. What does an offseason of being aggressive look like for the Blues? Because we saw this with Florida. We saw it with Vegas. We saw it, as I mentioned in the last segment, with Ottawa. Now, it didn't work for Ottawa. Their offseason ended up being a little bit of a disaster. You're looking back on it now saying you probably missed out on that. Honestly, Calgary, you could make an argument, was aggressive last offseason. Now, their decisions failed, and it's not always going to work. Sometimes it's going to blow up in your face. The New York Rangers at the trade deadline, they were aggressive. Now, they were stupid aggressive, in my opinion, (laughs) but they were aggressive nonetheless. So, again, it doesn't always work out. If you look to this offseason and you think to yourself, all right, the Blues are going to get aggressive. They're a dark horse buyer, which is what the Athletic called them today uh, on their NHL site. I think that looks like the Blues really getting aggressive with their blue line. It means that they found a taker for at least one of Tory Krug or Nick Letty. It means they went out either in the free agency market or via the trade market and found some size that really changes the way that they're able to play defensively, especially in front of their own net. That, to me, is what an aggressive offseason looks like. Maybe it includes a Noah Hannafin or a Mackenzie Weger. Maybe it includes a name that we haven't even discussed that we didn't think was going to be available this offseason, just as it did for many teams last year. But I think, for me, that's what it looks like. T-Bone, what does it look like for you? Yeah, I, I think it is with the blue line, because I, I think forward-wise, I, I think they're pretty solid up up there on with their forwards. C- could they add a piece like a Ras Colton who we've talked about all offseason long? Yeah, and maybe he does have to be kind of part of this conversation is go add somebody that can be a part of that third line that you feel like can play the whether it be the Ivan Barbashev role or someone that's going to be another goal scorer on that third line. But I, I think it is the blue line. I mean, they've got seven defensemen under contract right now. And, like, I think it takes two guys to be shipped out for me to say that was an aggressive deadline. And I'm not saying it's got to be – or, excuse me, aggressive offseason – I'm not saying it's got to be both Tory Krug and Nick Letty, but maybe it's one of those two. And then maybe you also send out like Marco Scandell, and to your point, you add in somebody with size or you create room to where you're going to play a, uh, a Scott Perunovich on a nightly basis so you can figure out what you actually have in him. So I, I think it is just a complete like reshape of the blue line for me, for me to say they were an aggressive team in the offseason. Maybe that isn't like extremely bold like to where national outlets are going to be saying whoa look at what the st louis blues did but i think it's bold here in st louis because it is showing hey we were wrong about this blue line and the best news that we could possibly get is we were able to get off of one of these big contracts that we've got and we can start reshaping this thing on the fly i'm totally with you too if the blues are going to be competitive next season it's going to have to look a lot different defensively and not only next season, but I mean, you look years down the road, if the blues want to be competitive two years from now, three years from now, the Tory crew contract is not going to just disappear. Neither is the Nick Letty contract. He's still here for three more years after the season. So this isn't even necessarily talking about next season, this upcoming season for the blues. This is talking two, three, four years down the road. What is this going to look like? Cause the contract is not going away anytime soon. So either you move them now or you have to move them at some point. 
and the no trade clause isn't going anywhere either. So it's not going to be an easy move at all. But at some point, that's going to have to be addressed or you're just going to have to eat it and play him. Which case it isn't going to look pretty. The other thing I find interesting about this offseason, just kind of big picture for the NHL, not even just for the Blues, is that a lot of teams are in these kinds of situations, whether it's with guys that have no trade clauses or just salaries that they want to move off of the books. The cap crunch is real. And if you look at the Rangers, you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, you look at Toronto, certainly, which is going to get a lot of buzz this offseason. They're part of this conversation. They are far from alone. Then there are other teams that are going through a rebuild cycle like Winnipeg. It feels like every player on Winnipeg has been discussed as potentially becoming available this offseason. Uh, you look at some of these other teams, Calgary, they just had a new G or a new coach that was hired. What's that mean for them? Uh, you look up in Toronto and they have a new GM in place. What's that mean for them? Pittsburgh, new GM in place. What's that mean for them? There's a lot of turnover that has already taken place, whether it be via the bench or general managers this offseason, man, the first thing that those guys want to do is put their stamp on respective teams. They want to make it in their image. And so when you have something like that, it could result in them not valuing a player the way that the previous general manager or coach did. And that can shake some things loose in a way that you don't typically expect it to. So even guys that we haven't discussed coming into the offseason could end up becoming potentially interesting players. Like when I see on the athletics trade list that Connor Hellebuck could potentially be traded this offseason, that's shocking to me. You don't see goalies like that becoming available on the trade market ever. You can win a championship with that guy between the pipes for you. And he's apparently likely to be traded this year. Mark Schleifley is a really good player. That guy is apparently available on the market this year. When players like that become available, it suggests that this is going to be an offseason where surprising stuff is going to happen. Doug Armstrong is a guy that is unafraid to get involved in those conversations. So we've talked a lot, and my favorite player in the trade market is Ross Colton. I think he's a guy that brings a, a an element of grit to his game that we saw with Vegas where they got into the postseason. It's like, man, some of the guys that were really good players for them are not household names. Ivan Barbashev, for example, household name here in St. Louis, probably not nationally. Now he certainly is because of what he did in the Stanley Cup final, but also in the playoffs at large. I think Ross Colton could be that guy for you. But even beyond that, if you want to look higher on a higher rung, you want to go like premium shelf liquor type of uh, buying. There's a bunch of those guys that could become available this offseason as well. Yeah, and there's two things that I'm fascinated with in terms of the Blues angle, too, of seeing if this is how they decide to make this bold offseason move. Is Cairo involved in any sort of trade conversation? Because we've talked about it. Would you say, I'm not sure what would work for Toronto, but to get like a Mitch Marner, we've talked about the Clayton Keller one. Would you swap him for Clayton Keller? I don't think the Blues would do it, but I do find it interesting that he's a guy that could potentially be on the trade block. And the other one for me, and I don't even know if you would call it a bold offseason move, I think it should be categorized as it, and we've talked about it too, is do they use these three picks to move up and make a bold decision in the NHL draft and play for upside? We all know my philosophy. I'm not trading oh. up at all. But I, I'm fascinated to know if the Blues end up deciding to do that because maybe they want to jump the gun and get uh, the Russian forward. Or maybe they see someone that drops down into, where is it, San Jose, four or five, and decide to move up and say, hey, that's our guy. Like, there are some other scenarios. I think defense is the one I'm super focused on because I think that's where the bold move seems most likely. But I could see where Army does something that, to your point around the NHL, that you're not expecting to see happen. I could see Army doing that where he says, you know what, let's pull off the Cairo for Keller swap. We think this guy helps us more long term. The other thing, and this is just a guy that I know Alex has talked a lot about. I think you've mentioned him in the past as well, uh, Grant. Ryan Graves is is a free agent this offseason. 
that would typically lead me to believe no chance. No chance that the Blues are going to get him because of the money that's involved. One thing they could potentially consider, though, is a sign-in trade. And this is where getting creative could be interesting for them. Maybe the Devils, because they know they're going to lose Ryan Graves for nothing otherwise, maybe they say, you know what, we can get one of those late first-round picks as an asset for Ryan Graves. And because we're getting that first-round pick and we need cost control right now, that is a team that is starting to get really expensive. They've got their own cap complications, and that's why Ryan Graves is probably going to be gone this offseason. By the way, 6'5", 220 pounds for Ryan Graves. Yeah, he's a big guy that does have some of that puck-moving ability as well. So he's got the good of both sides of things here. If you end up doing something like that and you include a better asset than you probably should, maybe you're also able to rid yourself of the Marco Scandella contract, for example. There's one year left. It's not a huge ask for the Devils. He's probably about as good as you could find for that level of contracts on the free agency market as well. So they're getting a first round pick. They're taking on an expiring deal. Maybe they decide to buy him out afterwards, the Devils, and then they can just take a million dollars on the cap for the next few years. That's something to keep in mind. Like those are the kinds of things where you get creative and you're able to make your roster better because you were able to move something in a package deal with one of those first round picks that you mentioned. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ask us anything is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. We'll be joined by former Mets General Manager and now MLB Network Radio Analyst Jim Duquette in about 10 minutes or so. But let's get to some of your questions right now. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, would you consider trading Lars Newbar for Lucas Giolito? I will start on this one. No way. Resounding no. If I'm trading Lars Newtbar for a pitcher, it better be a pitcher with a lot of control. Multiple years of team control remaining. Lucas Giolito is a free agent at the end of the season. I want no part of that deal. Like Lucas Giolito, if you could get him for like Tyler O'Neill, yeah, sure. I'd consider that not for Lars Newtbar. That's who I was just going to say is Tyler O'Neill would be the guy you're looking to move if you're going to go and get a Lucas Giolito. Look, I love Giolito. He's like my favorite target for the St. Louis Cardinals, even though he is a rental right now he's my favorite target in free agency too um i you don't trade large new bar for him way too much control i'm open to the idea of trading new bar but it has to be like under the correct circumstance of like a pitcher with like six years of control there are a lot of signs that um giolito is getting a little lucky this year he's basically the same pitcher this year that he's been over the last few years now that's not to suggest that he's been bad he's been a really solid pitcher now for the last four seasons basically since the end of the um, 2018 year. He's been a really solid guy. 3.8 ERA. Now, that's about 15% above league average. That is roughly Jack Flaherty numbers. You can take that or leave that. That's kind of what he's been. So I think he's a really solid number three. I think it's kind of more of what you have. But if you're replacing, for example, Matthew Libertor right now with Lucas Giolito, you're upgrading. You're, you're getting a lot better for the rest of the season. But again, I'm not trading somebody like Lars Nupar for that. Nupar is too good and has too many years of control remaining for that kind of a deal. From the 618, I want to get your thoughts on this, Grant. Do you think that Jake Neighbors has the upside to be J- uh, a Jaden Schwartz type of player for the Blues? 
Oh, that's a good one. I mean, you look back at that 2019 season and you look at, look at what Jaden Schwartz did during the regular season. It wasn't a whole lot in terms of goal production. I don't remember how many goals he scored in the regular season, but it wasn't a ton. And then you go into playoffs and obviously he leads the team in goals once it's all said and done. Um, Jake Neighbors, though, I don't know offensively if he's going to be able to be able to put up the production that Jaden Schwartz did. But I think defensively, yeah, I think he could he could get to what Jaden Schwartz was. I think that's his biggest asset for the Blues is he's not afraid to be physical. He's more reliable on the defensive side of the puck than most of the forwards for the St. Louis Blues right now. And I think going forward, that's where he becomes a little bit um, better than the next guy up is on the defensive side of the puck. So I'd say, yeah, on the defensive side, I think he can get to what Jaden Schwartz was. Yeah, he's. I, I think he's going to be a 15 to 20 goal score. I think yeah. that's what you've got in in Jake Neighbors right now. And that's and about so, what Jaden Schwartz was. Yeah, year Schwartz, in, year out. I think Schwartz's peak seasons were a little better than what I'm expecting out of Neighbors. I, but I think that that's kind of the similar type of player. Uh, Jaden Schwartz light. Yeah, is what I'm expecting out of a Jake Neighbors. And that's a really good player. You like having that guy on your team. The other thing about Schwartz is like is the way that he plays, despite his size, plays up in the postseason. And I think the same will be true for Jake Neighbors. So that's I think we're all on the same page there for with him. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Guys, what would be your interest level in signing Harrison Bader in the offseason? I'll go ahead and start with this one. Ten year deal. Yeah. I'm interested in signing Harrison Bader because I think he helps what is one of your biggest issues, not just at the major league level, but in the development system right now as well. I don't think you have a true center fielder. Here's the problem, though. He has played a total of 100 games over the last two seasons. And even if you go back to 2021, he's played 200 games over the last three years. He's just not healthy. He's averaging about 70 games per year. You can't trust him. So if he's wanting a multi-year contract, I can't do that for a Harrison Bader, but if he's willing to take a one year deal at like $10 million, sure. Bring him back. I would love to see him patrolling center fields for the Cardinals. I just think that that's more likely for him to take in New York than it would be for him to come back to St. Louis. Yeah. Would I like to have Bader back? Yes, because I i mean, he was a great defensive center fielder and was really underappreciated in my mind from St. Louis Cardinals. Hell yeah, fans. He was. <laughs> um, but I, 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 tend to lean towards what you were saying is he's just too injury prone and if i'm going to sign a guy in in the off season though bader on a one-year deal like that's worth the risk my concern would be it's still a little too risky for my blood because you're banking on him even though it's a one-year deal to be the everyday center fielder for you and if he continues to deal with injuries then what happens you're back yeah. in the same spot like i almost want somebody that's going to be brought in or you stick with like whether it be lars newport or dylan carlson out there in center field i think you got to pick one of those two uh, if you decide to stay internal to be that guy because you know they're going to be there for the full season, stay healthy. They do need an outfielder, but I want somebody that I know has not dealt with injury issues in the past. So this doesn't help you on that regard, but somebody that is has always been my comparison for Harrison Bader's Kevin Kiermeyer. I've always thought that that's the closest comp for him just because like a league average hitter that plays plus plus defense in center. It's what Kevin Kiermeyer has been for the vast majority of his career, and he's been a winning part of a winning team. If you could find a way to bring him in, he's on a one-year deal for $9 million this year. Basically just, hey, we'll give you the same deal next year. That would be somebody that I would definitely be interested in for the Cardinals. Now, he's not going to help you a ton offensively. He's having a good year, but you can't expect that to continue again next year. He's a league average hitter. Basically what you previously had for Harrison Bader. But he does so from the left side, which is kind of nice. 
I I would be looking at him. I, you could basically platoon him and Carlson in center field if you wanted to, honestly. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. And if you have a platoon there available, like if you decide to keep Dylan Carlson, make Newpar the everyday right fielder, walk everyday left, then I, I feel more comfortable with somebody like a Bader, Kierbeier, whoever you want to go with because you've got a backup option that you can throw in there. That would be my biggest fear is because I do think there's a chance they move Carlson in the offseason. My biggest fear is they would move him and then they'd go, hey, let's just go with Harrison Bader, one-year deal. And then he's hurt and plays 20 games and he goes, oh, bleep, now what do we do in center field? Yeah. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Grant, go back to you on this. Who are some NHL prospects that you like that are predicted to go around the 10th overall pick? Let me ask this a different way. If you could have your top three, of realistic candidates to be tra- or to be drafted by the Blues at number 10. If they don't move, who would you go with as your top three guys on that list? I think I'd go number one with Dalibor Dvorsky. Uh, he seems to be rising in terms of where he started on the mock drafts of going. Um, he's a centerman, and a lot of people arrive about his two-way game. Uh, so he's got a lot of offensive upside. And he, he was originally projected to go around 11 or 10. I think a lot of mock drafts are having him go around more like eight or nine now. But that's where the athletic has him going right now. Yeah. A lot of times in the draft, though, I mean, those things change as things go. So I would love to see Dalibor Dvorsky. Ryan Leonard's another one that I really love. Those are really the it's main like a two. power forward, right? Yes. And he's, he's a big guy. And. <laughs> I think when I was looking at him, the one guy that came to mind was a little bit of David Backus with a little more of offensive upside. I liked Ryan Leonard a lot looking at him. I believe he's a centerman too, if I'm thinking about that Played correctly. a little bit on the wing, but he can. it, it seems like he can play both. Yeah. Based on everything that I've read, listen, I'm not a guy that's been breaking down the film of Ryan Leonard. Yeah, <laughs> and same here, but he's one of the guys that stuck out to me. And then I don't think he's going to fall this far, but if Ryan Backer gets there, I'd love to see him as a St. Louis Blue. the defenseman from Switzerland? Yes. Yeah, I, I would love to see the Blues be able to get a defenseman that could turn into a number one. But like Button said yesterday, like you can't really tell from a prospect standpoint if somebody's going to be a true number one. But I mean, a top, a top pairing defenseman, I would love to see uh, the Blues get somebody in the system like that because it doesn't feel like they have someone like that in their system right now. He is Grant Francis. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys want to get involved in the show. But coming up next, we're going to be joined by Jim Duquette. He's been in that chair of being a general manager. What is it like when your team is struggling? And how do you decide if now is the time to fire your manager? Jim Duquette joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now, we are happy to be joined here in just a moment by Jim Duquette. He's the former Mets general manager. He's now an analyst for MLB Network Radio. Jim has been in that chair where you've got a team and you're struggling and you got to decide what with the manager situation here that's what's taking place right now here in st louis honestly it's also what's taking place out in new york as these teams get set to face off against each other in new york for a three-game set and now we are headed to the 101 espn hotline where jim duquette is set to join us jim we appreciate the time as always man we're just talking about the difficulties of deciding do you stick with your manager? Or do you decide to make a change when you're thinking that through and you're watching these games right now, Jim, especially as it pertains to the Cardinals, what goes into such a decision in season on whether or not you decide to stick with your manager? It's a tough one. You know, I think to me overall guys, uh, very rarely do I feel like changes in season end up working. It worked last year for a couple of teams, but for the most part, it doesn't. There, there's an inherent, an underlying issue with the team when they're struggling, um, and you generally you would try to use the, the hey, has he lost the clubhouse, right? So, so the support of your veteran players, and you know, you kind of watch, uh, you know, that, and you have a feel for that. And it's hard to see from a fan perspective, you know, being outside of the club you generally will have conversations with the players and you kind of get a feel, do they have confidence in him? Do they have confidence in his decision-making or the communication skills with some of the, the players? How, how are they, you know, and you're going to go through growing pains, you know, with a young manager like Ali Marmol. But even in New York, yeah, there's, there's a little fire around uh, Buck Showalter. He was manager of the year last year in, in Major League Baseball. Now he's not, he's not, you know, the job, his job isn't in jeopardy, but, yeah, there's a lot of questions around it. And I think generally that's all those teams that are that are not playing well, right? Yeah, and Jim, when, when you say that and you say, you, you know, you don't look at the manager, you don't like to make that move, how much more pressure does that put on the the front office in terms of they need to then make a potential, like, spark-making trade, but it seems tough in the month of June when we're only halfway through it? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's tough to do it right, especially now, you know, that we're on you know, year two of – you know, the three wild cards uh, in each league, and there's so many teams that are still in it. And you can, here, here's the hard part, right? You can talk yourself into, you know, a delusional state where, like, oh, geez, if we have a seven game win streak, we're right in this. Now, I don't know with the Cardinals, even a seven gamer is going to make you feel a whole lot better where they are. Like, I, I've been saying this, it just doesn't look like you know, every once in a while you go through a down season when you have high expectations. My cousin, uh, had this with the Orioles, I think it was 2017, one of his last year, the Machado last season for Machado. And they were expected to be, uh, you know, in the hunt for the division. They had one of the worst seasons ever. Um, it sometimes goes the other way, and a lot of times it's unexpected. So, you know, it's a, it's a really difficult thing, though, if you're the GM, because like I did this when I was GM of the Mets. I felt we were better than we were. And I went and made a bad, you know, ended up making a bad deal, chasing wins and chasing, you know, the fact that we were only a couple of games out. And it, it couldn't stop or stem the tide. So you have to really be um, realistic in your overall evaluations. And that, that sometimes is hard, you know, especially when you're the GM, you built the team, you're, 
you know, generally you're positive about the club. You feel like you're optimistic still about their ability to come back. Maybe there's a stubbornness there too. Those are all kind of conflicting things when you're trying to make the right decision about, you know, whether you're a buyer or, or you're a seller. I think generally these days, the best thing to do is to, is to wait. Obviously you try to make a deal if you can, but you wait and see if what you're seeing currently continues for another three or four weeks. And generally that's your answer. It doesn't always work out that way, but generally you get the answer. And Jim, you talked about being delusional about how close you are, even though you're 15 games below 500. The, the reason why they can be delusional about that is because this NL Central is terrible. Like the best teams right. in the division right now are the Pirates and the Brewers. The Pirates are 34 and 33. The Brewers are exactly at 500. So it yeah. it means that the Cardinals are only eight games back, despite the fact that they're 15 games below 500. So when you think about that, Jim, let's. Let's say this weekend, the Cardinals have a good weekend. So they go two out of three against New York. And then maybe they sweep Washington because Washington's no good. And now you go to London and maybe you'll take one out of two against Chicago or maybe even sweep that two game set against the Cubs. Now you're looking at it and you're like, all right, we're we're four games back in the division, but you're still, you know, 12 games below 500. How do you view that as a general manager where you, when you are in a imminently winnable division, but your team just hasn't been able to put together any sort of consistency? Yeah. It, so, I mean, you really, you have to look at the chances of them. There, there really is only one chance for them to get to the postseason. That would be win the division. It's going to be, I think, impossible to get in. And this thing goes for both central divisions, American League and National Central. Like, it's, there's such mediocrity in both of them that, yeah, you absolutely, you know, and I think the Cardinals, because of, you know, the potential upside and all that, you know, there's, there's a chance that they could go on the run that you're talking about. Um, and so, yeah, and I think once you get into the postseason, I mean, I'm trying to remember the year you guys would remember. I think it was. Oh six, right? When they, didn't they have? It wasn't an eighty-three win season that year where they ended yeah. up. Yeah, oh six wasn't a very good regular season team, and then twenty eleven required the miraculous run in the month of September as right. well, just to get in. So the two like right, worst right. teams the Cardinals have had in the last twenty years, and it's part of what keeps the hope alive here in St. Louis, are right. the two teams that went right. on to win the ring. That's right. I forgot that the eleven team, the oh six team. I remember it well because I was around the Mets during that period. Still, mm-hmm. even though I, was, I, had, I left the club the year before, but. But yeah, I, I, so you know, I think that that you know the I think uh, the hard part is you know to make a, a big deal. You know, it, it requires top. You don't want to give up any top prospects. I think most teams are kind of feeling that way. You certainly from the Cardinals, but what you got to decide is do you take a step back, which they've been reluctant to do in the past, mostly because of their success. But take a step back um, and say, you know what, we'll go back in again next year. And you know, the Red Sox. I think are the best example of that where they've, they've won a world series and next year they're, they're bad. They've done it, you know, this, this uh, decade twice. Um, and you know, you, it, it is allowed. I know the fan base doesn't like it. Ownership doesn't like it, but there are plenty, there are examples like that where you can kind of, uh, you know what, this didn't go the way we thought it is. So we're going to make it, you know, we're going to trade a piece or two pieces or whatever it might be. And then, and then go back in. You hate to do it. And Wainwright's last season, um, you, you, you don't do it, you know, easily. But I do think in their situation, I think it's uh, a, a worthwhile uh, and, and something that they should consider for sure. 
Jim, with that being said, I find it interesting. You, you've mentioned twice now of teams that kind of just have like this blip on the radar of one bad year with expectations, yep. and then they try and turn it around quickly. If that's the case, yep. do you think the Cardinals are in a good position to kind of do that? Because they can kind of reset the pitching staff going into the offseason with Flaherty being a UFA, Montgomery's a UFA, Wayne retiring. So there's three open spots there. Yep. And then kind of the second part of my question here on that is, We've heard a lot of buzz about Paul Goldschmidt being a guy that should be traded. If this is just a blip on the radar, do you just hold Paul Goldschmidt, and do you see a scenario in which you don't trade him? See, I, I think with the Cardinals and those, those um, you know, I call them the iconic baseball teams, right, the ones that have been successful as, as often as they have. I, I think for, and, and, and you kind of look at their core group, and I include Goldschmidt in that, Arenado in that too, and you have enough good core pieces and some young pieces where you, you, you know, no one likes this as a fan, but you, you, know, you have to be considerate to some degree of, of your payroll. But, you know, they're going to have to spend their, their way out of this a little bit on the pitching side. And they haven't had this great success or track record recently. However, you know, they, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't take a ton for them to uh, turn things around on the pitching side next year. Um, and, and Walker's another year where I think, I mean, he's just, he's got to be a force in the league, you know, and he's starting to, I think, starting to show that, um, you know, even more recently, the last week or stretch that he's going to end. Um, I think, you know, that he's just tapping the, you know, the uh, beginning of his talent. So I think there's plenty uh, of the core group here that I would, in my mind, if I'm sitting there and I decide finally, uh, this is the year we take a step back, I'm calling back at it again next year. I really think that there's enough talent there with this group, uh, with you know, a couple of, of uh, as you mentioned, suggestions uh, for signing, you know, a couple of pitchers, um, you know, on the free agent market, or or maybe there's a guy, maybe you know, listen, Libertar when he came up, you know, I know he hasn't been great, so it might be a bit of a stretch to say this at the moment, but I mean, he definitely has, uh, at least when I first saw him come up, he had definitely changed for the better. And you go, well, maybe he's a guy that, you know, not some more some more development out of him. He becomes a guy that you use as one of your pitchers next year. Not the main guy, but, you know, Flaherty, you know, outside of the blip early on, you know, he gets back to form. I don't think, you know, you try to re-sign him maybe. So so there's some things there that, you, you know, you have to make some difficult decisions. you got to hit on a couple of those. But I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that St. Louis could, could do that for next year too. Jim Duquette's a former Mets general manager, current analyst for MLB Network Radio. We always enjoy having him on here on 101 ESPN. Jim, final question. We'll get you out of here on this. You mentioned yeah. the, the pitching side of things. And one of the guys that we've been talking about, I think for like three years, it's basically the Nolan Arenado conversation that took place here in St. Louis over multiple seasons before they finally made the deal. Uh, but on the pitching right. side of things, it's Shane Bieber, and I don't know what the plans are in Cleveland. It seems like nobody really knows what their plans are right now. But he's he's having a good season by the traditional numbers. But then you look right. under the hood a little bit, and you look at the strikeout rate. You look at some of the stuff that is typically predictive of what future performance is, and it hasn't been ideal. He's got one year mm-hmm. left of club control. Uh, Jim, if the Guardians decided we're going to go ahead and make this move at the trade deadline a year early, what do you think the asking price will be for Shane Bieber, who traditionally 3-3 ERA looks really good, but then you look under the hood and there's some question marks in terms of the strikeout stuff now in velocity. 
Yeah. So <laughs> I think he's one of the more interesting cases if they make him available. I wouldn't be surprised if they do because of, of the things you just talked about, right? The drop, the drop in below is the thing that is concerning the most, right? The average velocity is about 98. It was a tick off his last start, but it's in that high 80s, low 90s range, and that doesn't age well. So if you're asking, you know, the hard part with him is, you know, in any starting pitcher is, you got two decisions. Do you want him for the short term? The answer is yes. Do you want him for next year? Yeah, would love to have him for next year. But if you're asking me, do I want to sign him to a seven or eight year contract beyond that? There's no way I want to do that, right? So um, I think that's the hard part is there's a cost of doing business in, in the trade market for just a short term rental. Um, there's going to be the hard part on that if you're if you're shopping for that type of starting pitcher. There's like eight teams that need. Shane Bieber, you know, and so that generally pushes the price up and you're going, man, do I, do I really want to give up, you know, two or three pretty darn good prospects for a year and a half of Shane Bieber with the idea that I'm probably not going to sign a long-term. Not everybody has the depth in their system to do that. So it's, it's, you know, it's like AJ Preller in San Diego, he might be the only guy that would say, I'll give up four guys. Like he just, he tosses them in like they're they're uh, casino chips. He, he trades them or the Dodgers. It'll so, it'll be the Padres the and the Dodgers, Dodgers right? We know right. who the teams are. <laughs> That's it. That is it. Yeah. I mean, you guys have seen it too. Like it's just most teams, you, you just don't have that kind of depth to do it. It makes sense. And the Cardinals certainly aren't that team. They 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 latch on to these prospects and they say nobody is getting any of these except for yep. us. Hey, we appreciate yep. the time as always, Jim. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy the series this weekend between the Mets and the Cardinals. And hopefully one of these two teams is saying after the weekend, ah, this is the time. This is when we finally are able oh, no. to go on a little bit of a run. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm you got it. Soon. Uh, it's Jim Duquette, former Mets general manager, now an analyst for MLB Network Radio, joining us here on 101 ESPN. I thought the most interesting thing that he said there, T-Bone, I'm going to have to look this up because this is something I haven't done yet, and it's a bad job by me for not doing so. He mentioned how, hey, yeah, last year we saw it. We saw the Phillies. They fired their manager, and they got things back on track. But at least in his recollection, the history of teams firing their manager – Maybe there is a little bit of a bump right afterwards. You get you get that classic like firing your manager bump in the middle of the season. But typically it doesn't result in a whole lot of long term payoff that season, at least. So I, I'm going to go look that up to see kind of where we're at with that in recent years. One team and it happened last year and it didn't get the bump they were looking for. Look at the Angels. Remember, the Angels got yeah. off to a great start. And who did they fire? Everybody's favorite here in St. Louis, yeah. Joe Madden. And Phil Nevin didn't get that spark. He maybe did, but he finished 46 and 60 as a manager. They brought him back, and we're seeing right now that it's having paid benefits this year, but it didn't happen last well, year. You know what paid benefits is them improving the roster. And so like yeah. he, he's working with an improved roster, and therefore he looks like a better manager. I, I, I know that it's not a popular take right now here in St. Louis. I think that managers matter. I think sometimes it's kind of like running backs in football, right, where people say they don't matter. Yeah, they do. Derrick Henry matters. Christian McCaffrey matters. Having a really good player, there are guys that can be difference makers at that position. But they matter on the margins. Like most of them are somewhere in the middle. If you're an NFL team, the chances are you're one of the there's like five teams that have running backs that matter. Five teams that have running backs that matter in a bad way where it's like this guy is actively making us worse. Your Rams last year were one of those teams. Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but yeah. And then there's like 20 teams in the middle where they've got totally replaceable, solid NFL running backs. And that's kind of how I view managers. 
There's like five that really matter that make you a little bit better every single season because they're your manager. And there's five that if they are managing your team on a year in year out basis, you're going to be bad because that guy is actively making decisions that make your team worse. Matheny. And then there's like everybody else that's in the middle. And I think there's a case to be made that Ollie's probably somewhere in the middle, yeah. probably one of those 20. And if that ends up being the case, then this is kind of what it becomes, where he's a reflection of his players. If he's got good pieces to be able to utilize, you're going to like what the results are. If he doesn't, it's going to look kind of like this. And I think that's the case for most managers across the sport. Um, so I, 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 that's why I would personally hold on to him, because I think that you have a manager that isn't hurting you. And the alternative could be somebody that falls into that category, unfortunately. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I want to put some sunshine and lollipops on this thing. What? I have been negative Nancy over the last few days because this team broke me. I didn't have to watch them last night, so I'm feeling pretty hopeful. And it's a Friday. T-Bone's going to Nashville this weekend to watch City. Like, there's a lot of good feelings around this this studio right now. And Alex is in here. So there's some great feelings around this studio right now. I kid, I kid. We love Alex. He might even be joining us in that segment. Recent National League World Representatives. Where were they at in their respective divisions at this point in the season? We'll tell you coming up in 15 minutes. We'll get back to some NFL quick hitters coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's get into some NFL quick hitters. I mentioned that we were going to be talking about this in the last segment, and somebody on the text line said, guys, how crazy is it that you've got a running back on the Baltimore Ravens right now that's planning to hold out despite missing half of his games over the course of the last two years? This is the story that I wanted to begin with today, T-Bone. I don't know if you saw this, but J.K. Dobbins, who came out of Ohio State, and I thought, man, this guy's going to be awesome. Perfect landing spot. Went to the Baltimore Ravens. They love to run the hell out of the football. And at first, it was great. And then he has that traumatic knee injury. And last year, you could see as he was running sometimes, he was like dragging his leg because he just had no explosiveness in that knee this past season. Well, they have started mandatory minicamp over the last week or so. J.K. Dobbins has been a no-show. He wants to get a new contract. Oh, does he now? Over the past two seasons, 21 and 22, he's played a total of eight games. In those eight games, he had 520 yards rushing. I think he's a really good player. I like J.K. Dobbins a lot. I have no idea if he's healthy, but I really like him as a player. T-Bone, this is happening with the backdrop of Kareem Hunt not being able to find a spot, of Dalvin Cook getting released, of Ezekiel Elliott getting released. Who does J.K. Dobbins think he is? In what world does he think, I'm the guy, I'm going to be the one? Saquon Barkley can't get a long-term extension right now. He's on the franchise tag with the New York Giants, who took him in the top five of an NFL draft. And now J.K. Dobbins is going to be the one that bucks the trend? Dude. This is like your company being completely underwater financially. You being an underperforming salesperson that's like at the bottom of the pecking order for your company and then demanding in your boss's office, I need a 50% pay raise or I'm leaving. You know what your boss is going to do? Sayonara. See ya. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next year. Like, 
what is J.K. Dobbins doing here? And that's after not being able to work for half the year as well. <laughs> Absolutely insane, dude. Absolutely insane. Yeah, I, I when I saw this story, it was like he's not at minicamp. I was like, oh man, is he is he hurt again? I was like, man, that's that's tough. And then it's oh no, he's sitting out for a new contract. I went, well, that dude, you got to really read the room because it, there are, as you said, a ton of running backs that are out there that would love J.K. Dobbins' spot for probably even less than what he's making. So if I'm the Ravens and he's serious about this. I'm just calling like Dalvin Cook or Ezekiel Elliott and being like, hey, do you guys want to be a running back on a team that has Lamar Jackson to take some of the pressure off of you? (laughs) We'll offer you the exact same contracts that we're currently giving to J.K. Dobbins. Absolute lunacy. Yeah, I I couldn't believe this when he's when he's holding out because, again, he's not been healthy. He's honestly when he has been healthy, he hasn't been like extremely great. He's been good. He's been fine, but it's not worth a new contract. This was one of those stories that it was just. I, I can't believe I, I saw this yesterday. And speaking it's of, one of the most shocking stories that I can think of in the NFL. Like this would I, I can't even imagine a, a similar story for another team like Buffalo having the situation with Stevon Diggs. Can't explain that one. I have that no one idea what's going on there. They decided to cancel practice basically because they're like, yes, yeah, Stefan Diggs is unhappy. Like, OK, uh, that's why we're canceling practice nowadays. Cool. He decided on day one, I'm not showing up. Had a weird meeting with their head coach. Their head coach then goes to the media and says, hey, we're not sure what's going on. He hasn't been excused. And then the next day says, oh, yeah, by the way, Stefan Diggs totally excused. We talked about this. Everything's good. Stefan Diggs then puts on Instagram, you guys are lying about me. It's like, what are they lying about? Go ahead and explain it. That one's weird. This one's even more strange somehow. Yeah, and speaking of Baltimore, I, I saw something, and I have to bring this up because I know BK is going to love it. You know, we're, we're at the point now where, like, everybody's talking about trying to preview the season of, oh, what what can so-and-so do to upgrade the, how they're viewed in the NFL? How, how can so-and-so become a top-five quarterback? And then I saw on ESPN yesterday it was, can Lamar Jackson overtake Patrick Mahomes as the top quarterback in the NFL this year? Of course, and, and, already has. You know, the J.K. Dobbins story is kind of lunacy. Tough to read into that one. This one's even more crazy, in my opinion. There's no way Lamar Jackson's overtaking Patrick Mahomes as the top quarterback. BK, talk some sense into ESPN, let me, uh, please. Let me go ahead and give you a response to this one. June. That's what this story is. It's June. There's nothing going on. The biggest stories in the NFL right now are which guys are going to get the long-term extensions, which guys are going to get cut surprisingly from their teams. Maybe there's a couple of trades to be made, but that's all speculation, and there's only so much that you can do with it. So we got to create some storylines, right? So what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to cycle through which of these quarterbacks. It's the, the Wheel of Fortune thing where we're just going to spin this thing as much as we can. Who's it going to land on today? Oh, today's day is Lamar Jackson. He's going to be the next great quarterback in the league. Tomorrow it's going to be Joe Burrow, and then we're going to land on Justin Herbert on Monday. Like that's, that's the way this works. The media has to get their takes in on which quarterback's going to be next to be able to dethrone the Kansas City Chiefs. And one of those may very well do it this year. Those teams absolutely could beat the Chiefs in the postseason in 2024. However, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the world, and nobody needs to debate that. We can just set that aside. It's not debatable. Nikola Jokic right now, best NBA player in the world. We don't have to debate it anymore. There is no debate to be had there. He's the guy. Let's set that one aside and put it on ice for a little while until we see something new that presents new information. Patrick Mahomes is in the same category right now. We don't we don't have to have these discussions about who the best quarterback in the world is. By the way, speaking of the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, can I tell you something that I just I don't have the same energy for that it seems like other people do? The ring ceremony? It does nothing for me, man. 
I'm going to be totally honest. Does I don't care what your Super Bowl ring looks like. It's cool that you won the Super Bowl. It's cool that you get a ring from it. I say this as a Chiefs fan. I just had no interest in this. I was interested to find out that it sounds like Chris Jones might not have been at the ring ceremony, which seems to indicate he ain't particularly happy with the way the contracts negotiations are going in Kansas City. I think they'll get figured out, but that's not great. That's what I found more interesting than the ring itself. 600 diamonds, though. That seems pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's something that's fun if you get one, but like on the outside looking in, it's just a piece of jewelry to me with a lot of diamonds and like. I'm kind of with you. I'm not all that excited. I remember when the Rams won the Super Bowl, there was like the big thing of, oh, look, the Rams are boring. And I, I look at it and I go, oh, that's nice. But, you know, I, I didn't really need a, like, storyline from this at all. Uh, I, I saw something else, and I, I, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I, I can't remember who it was that said it. it was from the Houston Texans out of uh, their mandatory minicamp that C.J. Stroud was drawing comparisons to Dak Prescott from some of the wide receivers in camp. You know, this reminds me a lot of when Tyreek was like, man, two is the best quarterback in the NFL. A lot of hype around C.J. Stroud for a guy that I don't think is going to work out in Houston. You said Dak Prescott was the comp? Yeah. That seems totally reasonable to uh, me. I'm out. I don't see Stroud having success in Houston. I mean, he might not. It might end up failing, but it's better than them saying, yeah, this guy looks like Joe Montana. Like, go, going true. with Dak Prescott, who's like the 10th best quarterback in the league totally reasonable that's actually way more reasonable than most of these that we get that come out of some of these camps where it's like oh my god you guys are gonna just wait till you see this wide receiver jerry rice he was pretty good but wait till you see this guy that we've got on our team right now those are the types of comps that you typically hear so all things considered that's pretty reasonable in my mind i still feel like it's too much to put on the kid of hey you remind us of Dak Prescott, go be that in year one. Like that, that feels like a lot to me. There should be like no expectations of when you're asking. I mean, what are you hey, going to do? Not be of? excited about your rookie quarterback well, no, that I you took in the top five? Him, but <laughs> I wouldn't like. To, I wouldn't comp him to anybody that's like a top ten quarterback. I wouldn't comp him to anybody. I would just say, hey, he's doing really well. We like what we're seeing. I wouldn't start throwing out comparisons because now what's Stroud got to do? Was this like a, a report from a media member? This was a wide receiver. One of his wide receivers yeah. had said it. I, I tried to find out who. You got to show confidence in your guy. I got no problem with this Let's just say he's doing really well. I don't like this because now immediately now people are going to say, oh, Stroud's got to live up to being Dak. Otherwise, he's a bust. Like, that's tough to do and tough to put on a kid in his first year, Hard especially with a bad, bad organization. All right. Final thing here. We'll get out of this uh, after this story. So DeAndre Hopkins visited New England yesterday. He has let out a deal. And according to former NFL general manager Mike Lombardi, he is looking for something similar to what Odell Beckham got from the Baltimore Ravens, which makes sense if you look at the production. That's He's a better player right now than Odell Beckham was. Here's the problem. Odell Beckham was basically a package deal for the Ravens to be able to re-sign Lamar Jackson. It's kind of like with the L.A. Clippers when they decided to trade for Paul George. They traded way too much to get Paul George. But you have to keep in mind, they weren't going to be able to get Kawhi Leonard unless they got Paul George as well. So you essentially traded all of that for the right to sign Kawhi Leonard and also the right to have Paul George with him, which we thought at the time made you a championship contender immediately overnight. Where do you think DeAndre Hopkins ends up? Because I don't think he's going to get as much money as Odell Beckham Jr. And I don't think this is going to end anytime in the immediate future. Yeah, I I think this could be one of those that doesn't happen until we get close to training camp uh, or preseason games, even for that matter, because I I tend to agree. I I don't see the spot where he's getting all this money. I, I still think Tennessee's the one that where they'll they'll throw out the dollars, maybe not Odell dollars, but they'll throw out the dollars to try and get him in because they're still kind of wanting to win there, and their roster is just not built to do that. And if Tannehill is going to be your quarterback, you're going to have to have somebody there as a weapon. 
like when you had A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown clearly propped up Brian Tannehill. Um, so I, I think Tennessee, I don't think New England's going to have it. I know he visited them. I, I just don't see how him and O'Brien heal that relationship when he got traded for a washed-up running back. So I, I think it's going to be the Tennessee Titans. The day that DeAndre Hopkins got released, I was with you guys on the show, and I said I could see the Jets doing that. I still feel that. I still I just think- don't know how they make it happen. They've got so many receivers now because they had to sign all of Aaron Rodgers' friends. Yeah, but do they have a wide receiver who is like a number one that could really be? Garrett Wilson can be that guy. They're is he DeAndre Hopkins year. level? I don't know. Uh, I I thought he was really good last year, so maybe. Like, if you told me which one has more production this year, DeAndre Hopkins or Garrett Wilson, I think I would say Garrett Wilson. Interesting. I would too. And, and that's not a shot against DeAndre Hopkins, who I think is still like a top twenty receiver in the NFL. I do think he is taking a bit of a step back. Still really good, but a bit of a step back from what he previously was. And I think Garrett Wilson is going to be one of the best receivers in the league, like very soon. He's got that kind of potential. So I don't know that they'll do it. I would be fascinated if they did. I would be a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think the Jets are a team that are itching to be good so bad and make the playoffs because they haven't in so long. And I could see them going and doing something like that. I still want to see like a team like the Colts, I, I think makes so much sense, man. They need pass catchers to be added to that wide receiver core. They've got Michael Pittman Jr., who I think is really good. But if they could add one more guy to that mix, I don't know that the Colts would immediately be like the favorite in the AFC South. But I think I think they could some, surprise some people there, there this year if Anthony Richardson is as good as advertised. So that, that would be a team that I would throw out as one of the dark horse candidates to sign him. If he wants a bunch of money, though, I, I mean, it might end up being like the Texans. Maybe that's how he puts up Dak Prescott type of numbers down there coming up next recent World Series representatives from the National League are a reminder of where the hope could exist for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2023 and Alex Ferrario is going to join the show we'll do it next year on 101 ESPN We're right. Mother's Day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones Blue Nile has something she'll adore Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex joining us from his basement as he is at home today. Joining us for a little bit here, though, because he wanted to get involved in our conversation about positivity about this St. Louis Cardinals team. Alex, how you doing, man? I am fantastic. I hope it sounds okay from me in my basement. If any... If anybody screams in my house, hopefully you won't hear it. But, hey, I just dealt with two little toddlers for the last four hours, so I'm ready for some positivity. If you need to jump up, you just let us know, big guy. We'll, we'll get you out of here. Right. Um, so, Alex, we didn't have to watch the Cardinals tonight, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little happy. I'm feeling a little froggy <laughs> feeling today. good. We didn't have to watch them fail in any meaningful way. And so I got in this morning, and I was like, you know what? We've talked a lot about how recent National League World Series representatives weren't exactly world beaters in the first couple of months of the season. I wonder how far back they were 
at this point in the season. So I decided, you know what, let's go ahead and look that up. Of course. And I think we could use some music to have as the, the backdrop to this. Oh, Alex, last year, I take a I take a day off, BK, and we're sunshine and lollipops. This time last year, you know what the Philadelphia Phillies were up to? They fired their manager first of all. Um, (laughs) Stinking. They were one game above 500, and they were eight games back in their division. Oh, (laughs) two years ago at this point, you know what the Atlanta Braves were up to? They were missing their best player. I know. They were 30 and 34. They were seven games back in their division. They ended up trading for an entirely new outfield. They trusted their manager, man. That Brian Snitker, boy, did we love him at the end of the season. But early on, I don't think they were loving him in Atlanta. Yeah, He wasn't a front office puppet, though. You go back to 2019, (laughs) man, that Nationals team was brutal. We're 70 games into the season. They're 32 and 38. They're eight and a half games back in the NL East. Man, fire everybody. Blow this thing up. Trade everybody. Get rid of Trey Turner. Get rid of Anthony Rendon. That guy's on an expiring deal. These guys all stink. They're over the hill. This manager stinks. Get get all these guys out of here. Ended up going to the World Series that year. And now let me bring back one more team for you, Alex. Oh, jeez. I know you're a hater on all of those examples. Don't do it. You remember what June was like here in St. Louis in 2021? I sure do. Didn't go well. Yeah, Miserable. Nine games back, the Cardinals were on July 1st in 2021. They end up making that year's postseason. Alex, I say all of that to ask this question. Eight games back, seven games back, eight and a half games back. That's the last three full season National League representatives at this point in the year in terms of where they were at in their division. I look at the St. Louis Cardinals right now, where they're at in their respective division as well. It's right in line with all of those teams. I am not sitting here and telling you that you should be excited about the 27 and 42 St. Louis Cardinals. You shouldn't be. This is an abomination. They are a failure of epic proportions. However, when I look back at all these teams, Alex, how can I not get excited about what the future might hold here in St. Louis? Imagine the story. Imagine us talking in September about what a great success story Ollie Marvel is. They could have fired him. They could have just like he's basically the hometown hero. I mean, you remember what they were doing in December here in St. Louis? They sent out the wish list. Say, hey, what do you want for Christmas? We've got something ready for your stocking. Could it happen? Could it? Could it? Could it, Alex? No. No, it couldn't. You know what? You know where the optimism kills me, BK? And, man, I I jump on here and pessimistic Pete, but the reason that I don't see that happening is because you have a 6-15 and record over your last 21, and you played Cincinnati, Cleveland, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Texas, Cincinnati again in San Francisco. The opponents don't matter for this team, Alex. We've talked about this. What are you talking? The opponents don't matter for this team. Maybe maybe that's true because they beat themselves up on the field. But, um, no, I don't think I could do that because all of those other teams, they had people that could – Uh, rally the troops, and I don't know who's rallying the troops on this Cardinals team. The 2019 Nationals? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they had the rally guys. His his name's Juan Soto. His name was Max Scherzer. Those Those are rally guys. Hey, you know who else is Who's the rally guy for this team? I I mean, who? Andrew Kisner. He's the captain. No, it's the captain. and Wilson Contreras and Paul Goldschmidt. What are you talking about, man? 
BK, Nolan Arenado is calling out the president of baseball operations. Wilson Contreras is crying in the clubhouse right now. That is not rally, it rally, the guys. It's the dugout, man. Come on, get it right. Same place. They were doing it in the same spot. <laughs> Nolan Arenado is pointing fingers at John Mozalak because he's got too young of a roster, which I think is crazy in itself. Yep. But that's not the, oh, we're going to get out of this. That's the, hey, guys, this is blowing up, and I'm trying to find a way out of this before it just completely combusts. Yeah, you know, I think he's right on this one. I, uh, I I don't see them really turning this one around because a lot of those teams that you mentioned had one thing in common, and it was uh, they weren't 15 games below 500. Now, that is a fair <laughs> point. That, that, in that the is division. <laughs> that is a bad division. The Nationals were six games back, or, or six games below 500. So, I mean, 2019, oh, that's on. the team, man. You, you want to look at a team that would get you excited. Like, nobody was excited about Mike Rizzo in 2019. They no, were asking but... for him to be fired. Dave Martinez, you want to look for a comp for Ollie Marmel? It might be Dave Martinez. At that point, he was in year two. Who now brings photo evidence when something goes yeah. wrong. Yeah, he, he now right. has pictures. He, he was Who now right. has pictures when his team falls apart. I don't think Dave Martinez is a particularly good manager. But, hey, man, that guy won a World Series. <laughs> what do you want from me? He was a World Series champion in 2019, and Ollie Marble could do the same uh, thing this year. Look, I, I won't disagree with the notion that Davey Martinez is a bad manager. I agree. That that rotation was loaded. That had Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg healthy, and Patrick Corman that was really good that year. Yeah. You know what this staff's and got? Like, none of those guys. Yeah. No, Nobody close to any of those guys. They've got, like, the Anibal Sanchez, but they've got five of one. them. No, they're not. Yeah, they are. If anything, they're gonna, if anything, they're going to be doing the 2020, what was it, 2022 Nationals and trading away an MVP. I mean, to look, I, listen, I, I'm not, again, I'm not caping for this pitching staff. However, if I'm just going to go down this path here for a moment, Patrick Corbin could be, could be oh my God. what you have right now in Miles Michaelis. Steven Strasburg could be what you have right now in Jack Flaherty. Could be. Who the hell is the Max Scherzer then? That's who you got to get, man. (laughs) You got to go find that guy. I don't have anybody (laughs) for you there. I I can't wait. I, I can't wait for everybody to try and convince me that when the Cardinals trade for Rich Hill, that they found oh, their no, no, max no. Scherzer. That's your, that's your Anibal Sanchez. Hey, wait. Just wait, Alex. When we beat the Mets this weekend, right. we sweep them. <laughs> They're going to become sellers. You know who we'll go get? We'll go get Max Scherzer. No, don't do that. He's over uh, the hill. That's not a good mind. idea. Don't I do thought, that. You know, I thought I had a good idea. And there's BK, no. Mr. Positive. You know it'll be great? Shoot it down. When they win against the Mets, T-Bone, and BK is on this train of, yeah, the Cardinals are going to come back, and then they get swept by the Washington Nationals. <laughs> well, that's, if that happens, then the positivity will once again be beaten out of me. <laughs> so the Nationals, the first time that they got above 500 in 2019, this is not helping my case, uh, they were 40 and 40, so they were 80 games into the season. St. Louis Cardinals right now are uh, 27 and 42. So if they have a 13-game winning streak, guys, a 13-game winning streak. They are basically right where the 2019 Nationals were. All they got to do is win the next 13 in a row. I'm feeling I'm feeling a little bit of a comeback for this year's St. Louis Cardinals. Now, the nice thing for them is they don't have to do that. And the reason why is because this division is terrible. Like, god-awful. Just atrocious. And, as I heard yesterday as I was listening to MLB Network, Dan Plesek brought up the one thing that the Cardinals have that other teams don't have, which is two of the best players in the world. I think a lot is going to be decided in the next 30 days for the St. Louis Cardinals. Right now, I mean, to think that they have the worst 
record in the National League. 15 games under 500 with that roster. It has to change, and it has to change fast. This is a team of the John Moisey-like era that they don't know what a losing season is. They've won every single year. They have the most talent in that NL Central division. Ooh, and they better. Whoa, whoa there are Cub fans aren't going to like to hear that. They have the Red most, fans that aren't going to like to hear that. They have the most talent. No team in that division has an Arenado and a Goldschmidt. Listen, love Ellie Dela Cruz, great player. Don't put him in the same category as those two players. They need to pitch better. They need to start hitting better. They better get going and get going now. So the thing that he brought up there that I find really interesting, and I agree with, no other team in this division has a Paul Goldschmidt or a Nolan Arenado. That is true. Cardinals have both of those guys. If they're going to get out of this, and most of this segment has just been tongue-in-cheek. Like, let's be honest. that They're not good. They're 27-42. <laughs> no. But No, you're serious, man. The, the next six games do represent an opportunity for them. You're going up against a team in New York that has been every bit as disappointing this season as you have been. And then you travel to Washington to play against what should be the worst team in the National League in the Washington Nationals. They were constructed to lose this year. If you were able to win like four of your next six, five of your next six, you are looking at the potential of this being a jumping off point. But it has to start with those two guys. It has to start with Nolan Arenado becoming the best defensive third baseman in baseball again. It has to start with Wilson Contreras as well, joining those two guys as your third big bat, as we all expected it to be going into this season. It's going to come down to these veterans playing the way that we thought that they could, the way that they we thought that they should going into 2023. And if that happens, they will be able to potentially be the next 2019 Nationals or the 2021 Braves or the 2022 uh, Phillies. They can be that team still. It sounds crazy to suggest, but it is there for them. But it requires them to play like a team that we have not seen perform basically the entirety of the season out of this brief 14-game stretch. And they have to do that consistently for the rest of the year. Where I will jump on board with you, BK, and I don't want to end this segment completely negative, so I'm going to give some positivity here. I do think that if you play three games against the Mets and win two of those three or sweep the Mets, internally, confidence can go higher because you look at this and you say, okay, guys, we're not this bad. And I know you've lost to Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and Kansas City, but if you're a group of players that feels like you're the worst team in the National League and you beat a team that's in the same spot as you, I would imagine some individuals who perform well in that can look at the roster and say, guys, we are not as bad as the New York Mets who were expected to win a World Series this offseason. So this needs to be our jumping off point. We just beat them. Let's go take care of the Washington Nationals and confidence continues to grow. The problem for this team is you can't go win three against the Mets and then lose the next two against the Washington Nationals because you're not building for anything. sure. Alex, do you think they went to a bar this weekend in or they, they will go to a bar this weekend in New York and hear like a 40-year-old song? 40-year-olds. Oh, like Gloria? Yeah, I could see that. I I think they probably went to some bar in New York or they went to a Broadway show BK and T-Bone. Oh, and what they yeah. did was they they heard a song in the background. Probably went to Hamilton. If I could turn back time. Cher was just preaching into the hearts of Nolan I Arenado. I know they went to a karaoke bar last night oh. and then started singing it, and that's the moment, dude. He had his arts yep. and crafts. That didn't work for him, but the karaoke night. We're going to hear about this six months from now, where they will be at, uh, on Clark Street. They're going to be walking down with the parade. All of them are going to be hammered off of their you-know-whats. And we're going to hear it's probably going to be like Lars Newbar coming up to the stage and saying it all turned around 
when Adam Wainwright had that karaoke night. You know what? I've even found a better song. I, I actually don't even picture it being Adam Wainwright, guys. I think it's going to be Ali Marmal who grabs the <laughs> mic, stands on stage, points He's at every single person. <laughs> yep. And what he does is he has them turn on Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, and he just belts it. I will survive. Oh, as long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. The juncture oh, yeah. is we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. All right, Alex, you've seen Wally, right? No, I hate that movie. But you've seen it, correct? No, no, I promise you, I have not seen Wally. Well, when I saw the previews, How, I don't understand. Because when I, <laughs> need because when I saw the, here. when I saw the previews for it, I'm like, you've got to be bleeping kidding me. And then people told me what it was about, and I said, nope, never gonna watch this. So I've never seen it, so, and I know I dislike it. Out of curiosity, what specifically about the premise of the movie did you not like? No idea. Just the, the way people explained it to me was it was like a robot on a planet who's searching for love a was so out on that. A post-apocalyptic. Oh, my God. Post-apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah, tough for me to say. A uh, world in which a robot goes down and finds everything that is currently existing on planet Earth, which is not a whole lot other than trash, and then you are able to find out where the humans are living, which is in space, and they're just kind of roaming around with no real idea of what's taking place around them because their minds have been shut off for like the last 200 years. That's not interesting to you? No, not at all. Okay. It's a good movie. I the recommend. reason why I ask this is because according to a new report from the Daily Mail, uh, this could basically become our new reality at some point uh, within the next thousand years or so. The reason why I say this is because they're looking at what's going to happen to humans if we continue to work from home at the same rate or a higher rate than what we currently are. They say, and they've got pictures with this model of what it could look like for humans down the road. It essentially, Alex, if you watched the movie, you would know what I'm referencing here. It looks like the I, people, I've seen the clips. It looks like the people that are on that conveyor belt <laughs> that are like falling yeah. off and can't get up. Um, yeah. It, they, these people have the hunchback. They've got like clawed fingers. They got a big old round midsection of a belly. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not ideal to say the least. Alex, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this to be our future? No, because I, I get so frustrated with myself when I get winded walking upstairs that I don't think this could be my future. It's funny you bring this up because a buddy of mine who does work from home, he got one of these. I don't even know what it's called, but it's it's essentially a chair that like does everything for him. It's got an air conditioner sure. on it. it it's got a, a hand so that you can pick up food and feed yourself with it. I think I spent like $1,500 on this, and I asked him what is the purpose of this chair? And he's like, oh, it's to make my life easy when I'm working from home. So I said, for eight hours a day, when you're working from this chair, your your main hope is to make life easy so you don't have to move off of it. He's like, yeah, I don't understand what the problem is. Yeah, that kind of confuses the, That confuses the hell out of me. I don't think I could sit still for eight hours straight. 
Uh, you know, I can do it. Uh, T-Bone would thrive. Oh, this, yeah. This, oh, would yeah. Be, this would be his <laughs> ideal scenario. I, I'm with you, Alex. I don't. I need to be. I need to have movement throughout the course of the day. Yes. Me sitting in an uh, like a cubicle for a nine to five, I, I would fail. I know there's a lot of people that that's like the ideal job scenario for them. I, I couldn't. I need to be. I need to have movement. I need to have conversation. I need these sorts of things in my life. And so, like, I, I think part of that is just like the ADD of our mm-hmm. upbringing. It's just the, the internet has been basically at our fingertips since since the moments that we were born uh, i did just i found this really interesting i by the way i said in the next thousands years it's about the next 70 years it's 2100 oh, is geez. when they project that this will end up being what a lot of people look like i it is a really compelling discussion on what the future holds if it is more of a sedentary lifestyle for people in general Man, it, it is a scary idea and like i've I'm sure you guys have seen documentaries on it of how, like, social media has taken over people's lives. And it's talked about, like, you know, your kids' kids are going to just be in a situation where everything is at their fingertips and Mm -hmm. they don't have to move. And I forgot what it was, what the documentary was called, but it was on Netflix that my wife and I watched. And it essentially talked about how the schematics on, like, Facebook and things, they know what videos you want to watch. And so every time you try and click out of it, they pull up another video that draws you back in, and it scared the bejesus out of it. That's Black, why all of Black mine Beer's are about... not a documentary, man. Yeah, that, that, that is, though. <laughs> it is becoming one. Um, that's why I get all of the, the videos about my lawn. Half of the videos that show up for me on Facebook are guys that are looking out at their lawns. I don't know what that says about uh, me as a 30-year-old individual, but that's where I'm at at hey, this point in my life. Same. And yeah. it's cooking. It's coming up with different recipes right. to cook for a two-year-old. So that's my video log, which is okay, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to become the uh, person that is stationary in a chair for the rest of my life. Give Green Envy a call today. Coming up next, Start are the Cardinals going to have to find a way to become creative buyers at the deadline? And if so, what does that look like for them? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Everything should be thought about in terms of being one of the best teams in Central next year. And everything has to think they have to think about the rotation because they might have two two and a half uh, starting pitchers next year. As much as they should be trying to get better this year, I think should be looking at who's free agents. Could we trade somebody like Tyler O'Neill, who is, doesn't seem to be fitting our team right now? Um, could we trade him for a starter that we would have next year? Mm. You know what I mean? And maybe could help us this year. Somebody that would at least have another year of team control, so that Trevor Rogers or whoever it is could be in our starting rotation next year. Uh, and hopefully somebody misses some bats. That audio courtesy of the Athletics Baseball Podcast alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got Grant Francis along for the ride today as well. Guys, I think what Eno Saris suggested there is what we're all kind of on board with. The Cardinals are probably going to have to be creative buyers and sellers at the trade deadline this year. Even if my last segment where I'm saying, hey, this is going to be the year that they do something magical. Even if that does come to be true. I think part of the reason as to why that will be the case is because of what they decide to do at the trade deadline. Look at these teams that we talked about and look at what they had to do in order to get back on track. Like 
the 21 Braves had to completely reconstruct their outfield. You look at the Dodgers from a few years ago, who were a really good team. They had Corey Seager that was out for the year, and they had to go out and, and trade for Manny Machado to be able to uh, reinstill the defense and really the offense that they were getting from that position in their lineup. The Cardinals are going to have to do something that is unique and interesting. The Phillies last year tried to go out and get some arms that would be able to help them for the stretch run. The Cardinals are going to get back on track. It's going to require a lot of stuff internally to get fixed. It's also going to have to require some movement where John Mozeliak gets creative. Alex, in your opinion, what do you think is the starting point for that? Like, what? Where would you begin in a creative buying type of mold at the deadline? I think if you're trying to get creative and competitive to acquire a pitcher that we just heard them talk about on the podcast, it starts with flipping Dylan Carlson for that starting pitcher. I, Tyler O'Neill isn't going to get you unless he comes back for a little bit of time and hits well and teams are interested. He's not getting you somebody who's going to be a part of your rotation unless it's a guy who's competing in spring training for a spot. So if you're going to start there in terms of flipping somebody to bring in a starting pitcher who can be in your rotation next year, I, I believe it has to start with Dylan Carlson because at least he's got more intrigue around Major League Baseball of control, how young he is, and somebody looking at him and saying, we can make him a piece of our puzzle moving forward. That, to me, is the equivalent of what they did with Bader to Montgomery last year. The only difference is Bader was obviously heads and tails above defensively Dylan Carlson, but it starts Dylan Carlson to acquire that starting pitcher with control. The question just is, what team is going to be willing to take a chance on Dylan Carlson and give up that pitcher? Yeah, and for me, everybody's on the table in terms of not Jordan Walker, but most guys are on the table and being creative. And the scenario that I looked at this morning that I kind of, I don't think it would happen, but it's the kind of thought process that I think the front office has to at least be open-minded to to get creative. Because I do like what you're saying of trading someone with control like Carlson to try and get somebody into the system that can potentially miss bats and has some control left that can go into this rotation. Now, I'm not going to lie. The the one that I kind of was playing the idea of kind of punts on 23 but helps try and build for 24 is maybe Cleveland doesn't get what they're looking for in Shane Bieber, but they want to continue to try and contend. Will they be willing to move one of their top prospects in Gavin Williams, who's got six plus or seven years of control because he's not up in the majors yet? And then maybe you swap someone like Lars Newbar for him. Basically, switching the amount of control. They need an outfielder that's hitting for power. Boom, he goes to Cleveland. You need a guy that comes in, misses bats. He's a bit of a gamble because he hasn't been in the majors. But, like, that's the kind of stuff that this front office is going to have to be open to do. Again, I don't think that scenario would play out. But it's it's one of those where everything should be kind of on the table, in my opinion, because you need to get someone that's going to miss bats, and you need someone that's probably going to have control. And they're not going to be shopping for rentals because I don't think they're going to be in it. In fact, I think they're going to be selling their rentals and Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery. But if you're going to get creative, you've got to find somebody that's got some control left. And that may mean getting rid of somebody that has control, maybe trying to do a one-for-one swap or a one-for-two swap. How do you think the Marlins are viewing their season? Successful. I know, but what do you think they're – what is the goal for the Miami Marlins in 2023? Just The rest in. of the way. I, like, like, it, yeah. Is their goal to make the playoffs and everything else be damned? Or the reason why I ask this is because, like, they're kind of serving two different means here right now. Yuri Perez, for example, is one of the best young pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. He's probably going to be shut down here pretty soon. 
because he in his professional career has never thrown more than like 50 innings in a season. He's at 35 right now in the big leagues. He's going to get pretty close to what their maximum is for him in the very near future. So that's going to hurt them as a team. I think they are way overperforming what they actually are as a squad right now. And I think the rest of the way, they're likely to see some regression. And that is a front office that believes in that kind of stuff where they, they believe in the math of right or wrong. Reason why I bring them up, man, they've got a lot of interesting pitchers on that staff. They've got a lot of dudes that miss bats. Like you look at Edward Cabrera, you look at Jesus Luzardo. If they're willing to listen on guys like that, because their offense is terrible. I mean, terrible. If they're willing to listen on some of those starting pitchers, maybe that's a team that you give a call and say, you know what? What, what do you? What would you be? What would you be willing to give up if we were willing to give up something in return of significance? I don't even I know like what that what looks like, but I think that's probably the the place that I would make my first call. I, I like where you're going with that because you look at an area that has a lot of what you need and you figure out who makes sense. It's what you did with Miami. Now, it didn't go well when it was Stanton, Yelich, and Ozuna, but you went to the team that had three outfielders that they were moving and you found the one that made the most sense to make the trade for. The question, though, is I look at the Marlins team and the Marlins have a lot of guys, but they don't have like the game changer, if that makes sense. I think so they're going to might want- be that guy. No, I mean on the offensive side, because I'm with you. They they want offense for pitching, but they don't have a game changer on the offensive side. Jazz Chisholm is an incredible player, but I think they want pop. Who do you have in your team that has pop offensively that can be an everyday player for them that Skip already doesn't know? Because they're going to go to Skip and say, hey, what about this guy? He knows a majority of those Cardinals players. So this is where it gets really hard. And I think this is where T-Bone's idea comes into play. I think he would love to have Lars Newbar down there in Miami right now. And you would love nothing more than to have Lars Newbar as a part of his outfield. Yeah, man. That'd be a really hard trade to make. It it would, it would make you sick to your stomach. If you had to get rid of Lars Newbar in order to get the pitcher that you need. But if we're talking about a guy like Jesus Lazardo, who is a lefty that throws hard, has a really good strikeout rate over the last two years, there's been some injury questions, don't get me wrong, but if you look at all of the underlying stuff, he's been one of the better left-handed starters in all of Major League Baseball. Like That's something you got to consider, man. And so that's the kind of thing where does it hurt? Yes, but you're overflowing with outfield options right now. And this would be you basically picking Dylan Carlson over long-term Lars Newtbar. I, I don't know if that's the right choice or not, but it's something that you could see them doing. And in this scenario, you're getting a guy that can be at the front end of your rotation for not just this year, but for the next couple of seasons as well. And I, I think if you're making this kind of move and getting creative like we're talking about, it has to be kind of a big swing like that for shopping a Lars Newtbar or shopping a Nolan Gorman, for example. Like It, it has to be a big kind of move it can't be like I like the idea of potentially trying to do Carlson for an arm I don't think Carlson gets you like a Jesus Lazardo because one I think Skip knows Great. Dylan Carlson but two like his value is not as high as Lars Newpar. Lars Newpar is still kind of a unknown commodity and you can see he gets on base and you've seen the slug before like it's easy for teams to look at him and go man he's got a lot of control we can see his ceiling and I think this is the kind of move of yes it is one that's going to make you sick because you don't know what you have in Dylan Carlson. I don't think they view him much in the future in terms of being in this organization. Making this move kind of tells you you're going to be with him next year, and he probably got to go out there and sign an outfielder in the offseason as well. But it's the kind of gamble that you have to take 
if you're a team that views this as a one-off and wants to try and modernize the rotation, in my opinion. If you're making a big swing, that's probably the guy that you're going to have to include. If you're making a mid-level swing, like if you're just saying, hey, I I think we need somebody to get into that Matthew Libertor spot to kind of stabilize things a little bit more for us. Give us more upside there. Give us more innings there. We need a, a solid veteran that's like a really good number three starter. Like a Kopech maybe. Something like that. Th- then maybe you could go like the Donovan Edmond route and you get kind of more of the middle tier. But the bats that you're looking for, because a lot of the teams that you're going to be trading for, if you're looking for pitching at the deadline, they're going to be wanting hitting because yeah. they're trading from their surplus for your surplus. The bats that you're probably talking about there for better or worse Tommy Edmond, Brendan Donovan, Lars Newtbar, Dylan Carlson. Those are the guys that are going to bring back a, a real return. Maybe you could talk about Tyler O'Neill. I think he probably holds more value than what we think here locally. He'll have to come back, though, and start hitting. And he'll have to come back and show that he's at least healthy for you to be able to get any value out of him. And then you get into the lower level of, like, trade this guy off. He's got club control. Maybe he can provide some pop to somebody, and you get a reliever in return. And those are guys like... Juan Yepes or Luke and Baker. One guy we haven't brought up that I would be really curious to see how other teams across Major League Baseball value him. We have not seen him this year. You look down at AAA right now for the Cardinals. They do have one guy that's really popping off the page. It's Yvonne Herrera. He's hitting the hell out of the baseball. And there are very few teams that have catchers that are hitting. And Cardinals don't have that right now. He would be somebody that if you threw him into a package, I don't know if it's to Miami. I don't know who specifically fits into this criteria. I do think you could fetch a decent return for him right now. So if you're packaging something like a Lars Newtbar and a Von Herrera because you have your long-term answer at catcher, that could be something that really does get you quite a bit in terms of a, a really good pitcher in return. I don't know who that name is, but those are the kinds of things that as we get closer to the trade deadline, if the Cardinals start getting this thing back on track, that's what they have to consider. And honestly, even if they don't, they might have to consider that stuff at the deadline to get the pro- progress on the talks, even if that continues into the offseason. Coming up next, guys, I want to hear from the audience. The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Alex, we talked about this a little bit earlier today. I think the Cardinals made it known with their actions more so than their words today. They're not firing Ollie Marmel. You can agree with that or disagree with that, and I want to hear your opinion either way. The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. What do you guys think about the Cardinals sticking with Ollie for the long haul? We'll give you our thoughts on it coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's nothing wrong with Ollie. There's nothing wrong with the team. The only thing that there's something wrong with is the philosophy. They have to get away from this total analytic thing and just go back to normal baseball with a little statistics thrown in there. They can look at the statistics, but that cannot be the end and all. It's the philosophy that is killing the game. Nothing else. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I am Brandon Kylie. That was Janet talking about the manager decision. I want to hear from you guys. The mic drop, fe- drop features on the 101 ESPN app. How do you feel about the fact that the Cardinals told you with their actions even more so than their words today? They're sticking with Ollie Marmel. Now, Tanner, I've done a little bit of research during the show today because we had somebody, I think it was, uh, it was Jim, Jim Duquette, Duquette yeah. who mentioned, hey, you know, firing your manager just, it, it doesn't have the impact that a lot of people think that it does. Now, we think back to last year 
where you had the Phillies that ended up making the postseason and obviously getting to the World Series after firing Joe Girardi. And we don't talk about this team as much because they didn't end up making it to the World Series. But the Blue Jays also fired their manager last year midway through. They started the year 46 and 42, fired Schneider and ended up going to Montoyo. Now, they finished 40, uh, 92 and 70, so they got a bump from that decision, but they were swept in the AL wild card, and that's why we don't really talk about them the same way that we do the Phillies. They were, though, a success story of doing this. That was the first time that we saw a team fire their manager midway through the season and make the postseason since 2009. The history of teams doing something like this is rare. You sometimes get a little bit of a jolt of energy right afterwards, but then things kind of go back to the way the way that they were. I'll give you a few examples. Just the, these are a few of the teams that I looked into. Uh, the Diamondbacks. You look back to 2010. They fired their manager midway through. The new guy went 34 and 49 the rest of the way. The Braves in 2016. Uh, fired Gonzalez. He was nine and twenty-eight to start out the season. Brian Snitker made things better, uh, but he finished the year fifty-nine and sixty-five. They were still well below league average. Um, the Reds in two thousand and eighteen. Brian Price started that year three and fifteen. They were a disaster. Riggleman took over. He righted the ship a bit, but it was just a bad situation. Sixty-four and eighty is the way that they finished that season. Uh, the Royals in two thousand and ten. They decided to fire their manager, hire Ned Yost. He finished that year fifty-five and seventy-two. Finished in fourth in their division. The Angels last year. We don't talk about them the way that we do the Phillies, of course, because it failed. Phil Nevin finished last year 46 and 60 as their new manager. You want to talk about a good manager, a guy that I thought was brought in and did a pretty good job and is considered to be one of the best in the game right now. The Brewers fired their manager in 2015, went to Craig Council. Good manager, right? We all agree. Yep. He finished that year 61 and 76 as the head guy. It's just really hard to do of coming in and writing the ship and getting things back on track and then sustaining that when you have something that is this bad. So for me, this is always kind of by why I've been in favor of just, just keep Ollie. The, the players have to get things back on trap. That's how I feel about it. T-Bone, where do you fall on this? Yeah, I, I'm kind of there. Now, again, I, I I understand the numbers you throw out there. I do think there is a energy boost that can be provided. But again, it, it's tough to kind of have that and have that be successful for a long period of time over the year because, again, you can look at what the Angels did. They tried it with Joe Madden last year and it didn't work. The Angels missed the playoffs and all those other teams that you just said. So I, I think Ollie's the right guy for the job. I when you talk about the Cardinal struggles, it is a player issue. Now, you can talk about construction of the roster. You can talk about some in-game decisions. But most of the problems for the St. Louis Cardinals is some of the top guys just aren't living up to the bill. Nolan Arnato, Paul Goldschmidt are not hitting with runners in scoring position. Wilson Contreras has been awful offensively. Nolan Gorman really struggling right now. Like It's on the players to turn this around. I think the Cardinals made the right decision to stick with Ali Marmol because he didn't go from being a – 90 win manager last year and getting the Cardinals to the playoffs and then forgetting how to manage like that didn't happen overnight the roster changed and some of these guys just aren't living up to expectations so I, I think it's the right decision to stick with Ollie Marmol Alex where do you fall on this although I agree with what you guys are saying because I don't believe that firing Ollie makes any sense and on top of it you're just going to bring in the same type of manager under John Mozeliak so until he goes Ollie doesn't make sense firing but I would push back on the sentiment of looking at those other teams and not sustaining success. Did those rosters have the amount of talent that the Cardinals have in terms of two of the best players in the game and Arenado and Goldschmidt? And again, 
That's on those guys to perform. To perform. That's not on Ollie. But, man, listening to Jamie Rivers yesterday, I thought he nailed it in terms of talking about how all of this buddy-buddy, arm-in-arm, we-defend-our-guy clubhouse thing, it, it, it kind of needs to stop. Like this, well, we root for him, and he's our guy, and it's not on him, it's on us. That's great, but you guys aren't performing. And at some point, you do have to send some type of wake-up call to a group of players going back to when they made the trade of moving Alan Craig for John Lackey. Now, I know that was a specific trade of getting rid of a player because the manager kept playing that guy but you brought in a little sandpaper and traded away a clubhouse favorite. I don't know if that's the way. I don't know if it's firing Ollie, but what I do know is this arm-in-arm locked step-in-step of guys saying, like, well, we're all together, and these are our guys. We're going to cover them with love. That's not working anymore because it's been three years of you underperforming and then going on a stretch, underperforming and losing in the postseason. So just to play devil's advocate there, and I do want to get to a couple of your guys' mic drops from Randy and Brett here in just a moment as well. To play devil's advocate on that, like what what is the alternative for them to say? Like whether they say I want, like this is not Ollie's fault. I don't know that they, I heard them say like Ollie's our guy. They said it's not his fault, which I, I personally I agree with, but it doesn't really matter my opinion on it. I don't know what else the players are supposed to say in that spot. Are they supposed to say like we don't like Ollie and we want him removed? Because if that was the case, he'd be gone already. So I. It's kind of like the it does remind me a little bit of the Craig Berube situation, Alex. I think if you went in individually and put guys on truth serum right now, like there's a lot of guys in that locker room that have had tough conversations this year with Ollie Marble. You look at some of the stuff that we've been talking about previously. uh, We would say the opposite about Ollie, that maybe he doesn't have um, the best relationship with some of his players. I don't necessarily believe that to be true, but that's what our text line was texting us earlier this year. So. I guess my question to you would be just as a follow-up, what do you think the players could have said that would have made you feel better about it in that scenario? I don't think the players could have said anything to make me feel better. And I understand that that's exactly what the players have to say. The blues players were saying that about Mike. Yo, although you kind of knew behind closed doors that it wasn't working, they were still saying like, Hey, it's not Mike. Yo's fault. We're the ones that aren't performing. But the reason you've got to do something is because that's the same message every year, at least for the last three seasons, I feel like. Because when things go bad, it's, oh, we're not performing. It's not on him. We've got to perform better. Can't that just be true, though? Like, Can't that just be the accurate depiction of what's taking place, is that when they're not performing, it is a player issue? Maybe, but the problem with that is you just allow it to continue to happen. And I think that's where the wake-up call needs to come in, whether it is. And maybe it's not even firing Ali Marmol. Maybe it's making a significant trade from somebody that everybody loves in that clubhouse to send a wake-up call that says, guys, this needs to be done. And it obviously isn't working, so we're making some type of change in this group. Let's go back out to the mic drop feature. Hear from Brett. Brett uh, had a, had some thoughts on the Cardinals deciding to stick with Ollie Marmel. Listen, at the end of the day, we can fire Ollie, but we all know that that's not going to fix the issues in the organization overall. Ollie has won at every level. He has the respect of all the players, all the coaches in the organization, and is a great guy. I don't see him being the issue. We have players that aren't either playing up to their standard or maybe we give them too much credit and think they're better players than they are maybe this is a scouting issue um, if you look back at the off seasons the Cardinals have had they haven't had those big signs because they think that their guys are going to uh, take the next step and we just haven't seen that we've seen that 
you know, with injuries and just lack of performance. So maybe this is more of a front office and a scouting thing and firing the manager isn't going to change any of that. So I, if I was going to look at a team and say, this is why I would stick with Ollie Marmel. And it's kind of hard to do this because they had a championship pedigree in, in this spot, but Bruce Bochy with the giants would be my example of, of what we're talking about here. And again, I'm not comparing Ollie Marmel to Bruce Bochy. That that guy is awesome, and he had championship pedigree when this happened. But Bochy with the Giants in 2007 finished the year 71 and 91. That was in the midst of them trying to build into what the team was that we saw in the early 2010s. The next year, he won 72 games. The next year, he won 88 games, and you could see things heading in the right direction. Then you get to 2010. They win 92 games. He goes to the World Series. They win it. 2011, the following season, they win 86 games and miss the playoffs. Then another big time year, they win 94 games, win the World Series in 2012. But then it comes crumbling down. 2013, that team won 76 games. They had basically the same team, but they won 76 games. Why was that? Is it because Bruce Bochy overnight became a bad manager? Is it because guys were underperforming? It was a weird year. They did deal with some injuries that season. Like Maybe that was the problem for them that year. Well, then that ended up being the case. They won the World Series in 2014, but they did win it kind of in a Cardinals-y type of way. They went 88-74 and that season. Then the next year... He wins 84 games, and then two years later, he wins 64 games, and they completely bottom out because the players changed. Bruce Bochy remains today a very good manager, as we're seeing with the Texas Rangers. And this goes back to kind of the thing that I said earlier today. There's just only so much influence that any manager can have on a team. If you've got the right collection of players, you're going to look pretty damn good as a manager. If you don't, if one thing goes awry then sometimes weird stuff happens and your team underperforms for some reason. And I think that's where we're at right now with the Cardinals. My hope, I don't even know if it's a belief at this point, but my hope is that things are able to get back on track this weekend. I think they made the correct decision in sticking with Ollie Marmel, although it is hugely unpopular. Alex, I would add this, though. Mo needs to get in front of a camera today. Absolutely. Mo should be the one that is taking the questions. He should tell Ollie, honestly, the pregame stuff that Ollie normally does in the dugout in his office. He should tell Ollie, much like Doug Armstrong did with Craig Burby, hey, don't worry about it today. I got it. Yep. I'm going to handle all of the questions and whatever people want to know, I'm going to tell them where we're at right now. I'm going to give you a full vote of confidence and I will say I'm putting my neck out there because this is our guy. That's what Mo needs to do at some point later on today at City Field. Absolutely. You need to stand in front of the camera and you need to not only defend Ollie, but give people the line of thinking and the direction that you're going. No more of this in-between thing. I believe right now, if you're John Mozeliak, if this is the direction that you're headed to where Ollie's your guy, you're going to have to dig your way out of this one and the trade deadline right now, we're looking at it as else. There's got to be some type of direction point rather than this just in between of, well, the, you know, our internal options got to figure it out and we'll see what happens once it gets closer. But you're right. He's the one that should be talking and he's the one that should be stating Ali Marmal is our guy for now and the rest of the season. So let's silence that immediately. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go coming up next You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Do it or not. 314-399-9646 <laughs> is the air comfort service text line for one's gotta go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. Let's start with this. One's gotta go Cardinals edition. Arenado Gorman, Goldie, or Contreras. Alex, let's start with you. Which one's gotta go? Man, um I I, I hate that I'm saying this, but I think it has to be Contreras. He's not the one that's hitting. You know where you're at with Goldie and Arenado. Gorman's kind of the future here, and frankly, Yvonne, or Yvonne Herrera is providing offense at the AAA level, and the defense hasn't been anything overwhelming, so I would say Wilson Contreras has to go. I, I think I'm with Alex. I, I think it is Wilson Contreras, because I still think Goldie's been great. Arnado's been good. Had some big struggles. Gorman's going through a struggle now, but his upside, I think you saw it in the first month of the season. Contreras has, let's just be honest, been a waste of a five-year, $87.5 million contract so, so far. far. So, so far. I, I think he's the one that's got to go here. Correct. Sweep it. I totally agree. That's the one that's got to go. Alex, this one's got your name written all over it as well. Oh, one's got to go Father's Day gift edition. A gift card, a shaving kit, shoes, or some new t-shirts. What's, which one's got to go, Alex? Man, all of these are incredible. I would love every <laughs> single one of these. Um, I, Katie, get on it. <laughs> yeah, get on it. Uh, they sure did. I don't know what you got me. I, I would say the t-shirts have to go here because I feel like I got a lot of t-shirts. I love me a new pair of shoes, whether it's dress shoes or sneakers, gift card. I mean, you're kidding me. That could be that could be golf equipment, food, whatever you want to do. And the shaving kit, I would very much prefer. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to get rid of the T-shirts here. I'd say that's probably the trashiest of them all. T-Bone, I'll go ahead and allow you to answer this, even though that <laughs> oh, you shaving, have shaving a kit, ways I don't to need go. I, yeah. I, I'll never need the shaving kit. When I have a no. child, if I don't have a child, when I'm 60, 80, it don't matter. This baby face... Don't need a razor. Mine will be a shaving kit as well, just because I, I don't have anything that I need in that regard. Uh, shoes are always good. New shirts are always good. Gift card, that's probably the go-to. So, yeah, this shaving kit for me would be the one that's got to go. Sticking with the Father's Day theme, one got to go condiments for Father's Day edition. Ketchup, mustard, mayo, mayo or barbecue sauce. Alex, I'm going to get us started. Mayo is a white gelatinous substance, which means that that is the <laughs> one that has to go. You guys know them. my feelings on this. Hey. I did a punishment with mayo and coffee, so oh, you know God. that's going for me. Yeah, that's <laughs> disgusting. I don't think I've eaten mayo since that pun- that punishment. Shouldn't. I really don't think I have. There would be no reason to. Yeah. No. And I typically would have said ketchup because I only use ketchup on, like, certain things. But, yeah, mayo has been ruined officially for me, so that one's got to go. Don't you guys worry. I, I haven't given up on drinking beer, even though I ran a beer mile. Don't you worry. Yeah, we, we were really worried about that one, buddy. Yeah, yeah. let me tell you. One's got to go. Alex, I think we might differ on this one, given where we live. Uh, one's got to go Highway Edition. 55, 270, 64 slash 40, or 44. Which one's got to go, Alex? 
Uh, I know a Grant Francis despises Highway 270. Yeah, I'm but... uh, as this question was being read. <laughs> Damn, I didn't my, know he had such yeah. strong thoughts. He, I drive he it desp- for about 30 minutes every day. So um, Every blues yeah. broadcast, I hear Grant Francis complain about a 270 highway, and I understand it. But I, I have a immediate hatred for 6440. Uh, it, it is the worst highway in the area, so that one's got to go for me. I tend to agree with Alex. I, I'm not a fan of 64. I dread it every time I got to get on it. So I, I side with Alex. I don't have an issue with 270, 70. I, well, that's because you're not coming from the south. Uh, I that, guess that's that, fair. Yeah, that southern tip kind of right over by where Alex lives, that oh, like, like Valley lived. Park, Fenton, 270 stretch. I, I from the stretch. Illinois I was saying, I took From that the stretch Illinois when bridge. I was with my grandparents, yeah. and like I didn't like. Sure, it gets backed up and all that, but I oh, didn't yeah. find it to be awful. Yeah, it's brutal. From it's... the Illinois bridge until Manchester, I despise two seventy. So the correct answer here is sixty four forty. Like that no. is it's awful. That, the, the reason why <laughs> is because once you get to Brentwood. I might as well just crawl the rest of the way to my destination. (laughs) Like that Brentwood area is is that big band right there. There is a guaranteed 10 minute delay guaranteed. No matter where you're going, no matter what time of the day it is, you will be waiting to get off on that Brentwood exit or to continue to your destination downtown. If you are going in that direction, it's awful. If I can avoid it, I always do. I live out in St. Charles. I'm taking 70 over 64 100% of the time when I'm going towards downtown. It sounds like Grant has some harsh words to say about 270, though. Every time (laughs) I drive to work, my default once I get here is pissed off just because of Highway 270. Like, that's my default when I get to work every day. Like, the 47 construction sites on the way here and then the crawling through traffic. Someone's driving like an idiot about to hit you or rear-end you, whatever. It's just... Yeah, there's one guy going 80 and the guy next to him is going 45. And the guy in the fast lane, that's the, you know, the passing lane, he's doing the speed limit with his blinkers on. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I drove down uh, 270 on the way home one night, and there was a car on fire on the side of the road. Bar 270 was <laughs> on was fire on one side of the road. The it was like, what in the world is going <laughs> on? Coming up yeah, next, six- oh. we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind. We'll wrap this thing up with the Cardinals going into the weekend here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Grant Francis has done a great job running the board for us today. If you've missed anything from the show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. And the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Before I get to the news from the St. Louis Cardinals, where they have made a trade tell you about that coming up here in just a minute first i want to give you a chance to win a pair of weekend passes for the evolution festival it's coming up on august 26th and the 27th it'll be in forest park you'll see brandy carlisle the black keys black crows and many more both weekend and single day passes are available right now you can check out the details at 101espn.com or just text in 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line what was the movie that alex has never seen doesn't really know what it's about but decided is a bad movie if you can 
name that movie on the text line and your texture number 101, you are getting that pass to the Evolution Fest. All right, Alex, the move from the St. Louis Cardinals. It's a big one. Drum roll. Drum roll, please. The Cardinals have announced that they are putting Tyler O'Neill on the 60-day IL. Oh, no. Oh, that's not surprising. And they have acquired Richie Palacios. From the Cleveland Guardians, in exchange for cash considerations, Richie will be optioned to AAA Memphis. Oh, my God. What a steal of a trade. They got an outfielder for cash? So, I'll go ahead and say it. Cool. Oh, I thought you were going to say this is what I wanted. No. A roster shakeup. This this isn't even worth a cool. This is the Cardinals essentially... Oh, well, we, we made a move. We're being aggressive. Now we've got more depth in our outfield. Cool. Now you've got another dude playing in your minors who probably will play one or two innings at the major league level for you. Yeah. I mean, that's what we needed. This guy has, was a former third round pick. He is basically oh. Oscar Mercado, but new. I've got no issues with it. It's fine. And for those that are worried about the Tyler O'Neill timeline, I don't think this really changes anything, to be honest. I think this was always the expectation is that he wasn't going to be back until, you know, early July at the earliest. And he hasn't played since early May. So this is something that I thought they should have done a while ago with placing him on the 60 day IL to open up a 40 man roster spot. They're doing it now. And they've added another outfielder to the 40 man roster. So um, this does guarantee that you will not see Tyler O'Neill until mid July. So that's something worth keeping in mind. But otherwise, it, it's just kind of a, okay, sure, why not? The the one thing I will ask about Tyler O'Neill is with that timeline, that's not going to be enough time for the Cardinals to be able to sell him as an asset at the deadline because that's not going to – you got to imagine there's going to be a rehab in there too. You could be talking maybe a week with the big leagues before the trade deadline. You're not going to be able to trade him. He Well, he, he can go down on a rehab before – He's eligible to come back to the big leagues so he could go down oh, okay. and rehab while he's on the injured list. Um, his last game that he played was on uh, May 4th was his last game up. So his IL stint is retroactive to that. So he would be basically eligible to return to the Cardinals after the, the all-star break. So gotcha. you, you'll be able to okay, see so there is time. You know, two, three weeks of him prior to the deadline. And that's. That's all you really need to see if you're another team is just to find out, is he healthy? Your opinion of Tyler O'Neill is unlikely to change in that two to three week stretch. It's just a matter of, is he healthy? Does he look like the player that we thought he was going to be? And uh, if you're another team and you find him to be an interesting player, then go ahead and do that. Uh, Guys, big thing today. Cardinals didn't decide to fire Ollie Marmel, as we all kind of anticipated. Um, I've got no issues with it. I, I went through the history of teams that, fired their managers that ended up making the playoffs. It's happened twice in the last 12 years. Both happened last year. Um, The the manager isn't going to be the thing that fixes this. You need the players to figure it out. And this weekend, you're going up against a team in the Mets that are going through the same issues that you are currently. If you end up going out there and struggling again this weekend, man, it's going to be a really sad locker room after those games. If you're able to go out there, though, and take care of business, maybe you'll be in a better place by the end of the weekend. Yeah, we, we yeah. talked about it when this show began that this series is kind of the get-right series for both sides. I think this is the series that whoever walks away losing two of three is the one that officially will both in the locker room, and we're, I mean, we're already talking about it with the Cardinals, will be viewed as the nail's been put in the coffin. Been, it's been nailed, and you can 
talk about the offseason, talk about what you're going to be selling off at the deadline. Maybe not so much the Mets, but it'll feel like a the finishing blow for the team that drops two or three this weekend in New York, in my opinion. Uh, I'll say this real quick, too. For people that are upset that Ollie wasn't fired, just understand that even if firing Ollie Marmol – you, you would have just been seeing another manager come in and have the same situation in terms of lack of experience, taking over a group, and it doesn't make much sense to fire Ollie until you figure out who's going to be in charge of this Cardinals organization, i.e. John Mosellock. And I'm very curious to see if he speaks today. Yeah, I, I will be as well. Uh, by the way, surprise. We got a sneak attack here. We got another opportunity right now for you to win Evolution oh. Festival passes Whoa. on August 26th and the 27th at Forest Park. Text in 314-399-9646. If you weren't the one that won the last pair of tickets, well, now's your chance. You can find the full details for this at 101ESPN.com. Maybe you'll be able to see the Black Keys, Black Crows, Brandy Carla, and so many more. All you got to do is be texter number 101, and you can tell us the player that's holding out in the NFL right now that me and Tanner were both baffled by one of the most shocking things that we've seen in the NFL news in recent memory. If you can play, name that player in your texture number 101, you're going to be going to check out the evolution festival for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. who did a great job running the board for us today. Happy father's day to Alex. Happy father's day to all of you out there. We'll talk to you guys on Monday after the Cardinals sweep the Mets here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.